Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. Today's episode is brought to you by nobody. Because let's be honest, nobody likes to hear ads. We all just put up with it because we think we have to. Well, you know what? I decided let's not do that for the time being and see how we get along. So let's get into what we all came here for, the actual episode. All right, folks, today we have a special treat for you. We have one of my teammates from True Art Jiu-Jitsu, Mr. Paul Nori. And I wanted to have Paul on the podcast because he is into real estate. And it's something that I don't know much about. And I don't know if it's going to be interesting for anyone else. But I know that I was excited to sit down and kind of pick his brain and see where things went. And kind of ask him a bunch of questions about real estate. Uh, Paul grew up a very lower class in uh, out in California. His uh, mom was a first-generation American. So, no, no, he's the first-generation American. His mom was born out of country and then came to the country. It's a very interesting story, his, uh, his background. And then uh, he has since gotten into real estate with his family, with his mother and his grandma. They all kind of work together as a team, which obviously is kind of the goal, especially from, I think, people... Outside of the U.S., they tend to work more generationally together and not just individually. So that's interesting, and it's 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 a great thing. So, uh, without any further ado, please sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host Matt Hess, and today we have with us for the first time my teammate, my good friend, Mr. Paul Nori. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, it's good to have you on the show. So, Paul is my teammate from True Art Jiu Jitsu. That's where we met, and uh, well, he's a fellow big guy, so <laughs> we, we like to roll a lot together. And uh, well, so why don't we get this started off by kind of telling the audience here a little bit about yourself, kind of like how you grew up, uh, maybe sports you played or activities you did and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So um, I grew up actually in California, so not an Ohio boy. We're at, uh, we're so, at in California. Southern California. So. Southern California. Orange County. But now you live in Ohio. I do. A lot of people would think that would be backwards. You would think um, the grass is greener, right? And it doesn't matter which side you're on. I always like to tell people. But um, coming from California to Ohio, I went for university and I like saw how cheap rent was. So when I graduated, I just never left. I just stayed. So where, where'd you, you came here for college then? Yeah. So yeah. Where, where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Ohio State for a little bit. And then my grandma ended up having surgery. Uh, so I came back home to Ravenna where and then I finished up at Kent. But before all that, I went to community colleges, you know, for my first two years. Just to make it cheaper, have like a ton less loans for student loans and stuff like that. Which so. is very smart because a lot of kids just yeah. rush right into the big universities right. and like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, well, then why are you paying all this money? Like, go That's to a problem. local school, travel there, drive there, don't, don't live on campus. Like, That's the problem is you have to get into a dorm when you go Usually your if you're a freshman years. year, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like that's a racket. It's cost. just those dorms college, college upsets me so much yeah. because it's like. You're saying that we're going to give our kids this better opportunity for a future and, oh, it's it's better for the country and everything else. I'm like, we're strapping on these kids with debt. Yeah. I understand that some professions need a degree. I understand that. Sure. And also, college can offer people 
a great chance to get away from their parents, to be out on their own, to learn to be responsible, to realize that, hey, if I do stupid shit, I might win stupid prizes. Absolutely. So maybe I should not fuck around so much and be an adult. So that's a good thing to learn. That yeah. I understand that. But I think that there's better ways to teach our children that yeah. without strapping them with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that they'll likely never get rid of. If you think about it, it's like the most welcoming way to introduce someone to being an adult. You're like, here. Here's this really nice looking thing, but we're actually going to screw you on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you won't realize that until you're 40, still paying off your student loans. Exactly. When you got some job that doesn't require the degree that you actually have no. because it was bullshit to start with. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm, dare I say I'm a little jaded about that because I wasted my time in college <laughs> and my degree I could have... I could have, I would have done better in a weekend course than, no, than, I, than my two year degree. I tell people this all the time. Like, I work with, you know, computers and stuff like that, but my coworker, right? I, we do like software systems. My coworker has a history degree, you know? So you don't even, the, the whole thing of a college degree, I'm sure there's value behind it, but really beyond that, <laughs> there's, it needs like more aptitude more than anything. Yes. Right? The ability to learn and take things well, on. But that's the problem, though, is like the, the schooling, edu- uh, it's not education because they're not educating our children anymore. Right. The schooling system is not about learning anymore. It's not about teaching anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. Reg- regurgitate this the way we tell it to you or we will fail you. There's an absence of critical thinking. There's none. Super important. Exactly. It's, they it's they take that gone. away from them and they push their bullshit Stats. doctrine on Standardized top of that. It's it ridiculous. Yeah. There's no critical thinking. Let's, let's not get too much of that. Dear God, I can get yeah. I'm talking about that shit. <laughs> That's a whole other talk. All right. So I think we're jumping way ahead though. So, yeah. so you grew up in Southern California. So what did you do in Southern California? Were you just like a beach bum running around surfing doing that kind of shit or <laughs> um sports yeah man because i mean you're obviously athletic we i mean we do jujitsu together you move right really well thank you um i have a i have like i, I think i talk about this with wiggins like i have like two or three you know bursts of energy and then i'm like i know i'm just dead tired but well that's uh, part of being big too <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of weight to move around but um yeah man i grew up in southern california um we moved around from like la to orange county but um Generally, just grew up. I didn't grow up with you know a ton of money. Grew up really poor, actually. Um, it's a weird place to grow up poor. It is. You got to think about it. Like people work at McDonald's in California. They work at these fast food places. They don't have a lot of money, right? And I mean, but everything's so expensive and rents and everything. Real estate. Oh my, oh my goodness. I mean, I remember hearing stories years ago from some gentleman who lived in Southern California, and he had like this. One or it was like maybe a two bedroom townhouse that he bought. And granted, he bought it; it's True. his. But it's like this big it's like uh, an apartment complex. Yeah, essentially, yeah. it's like you, you're buying a one of the apartments in an apartment complex. Yeah. They're calling it your house. Yeah, he said it was. He called it the it's cave because it was like a a long a corridor down to like the back room. It's probably like a little living room, yeah. a little bathroom, bedroom, <laughs> little kitchen. Probably that's all it was. Yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, it was like one point five million dollars." I'm like, "What the fuck?" And you got an HOA, so like you I was don't like, oh my really ever god, own. like yeah. do you know what kind of house you could buy around here for that? I do because I look at real estate all the time. But it but. snows, so that's why no one ever comes. They're afraid of it. <laughs> Chicken shits. Exactly. Like, like yeah, all-wheel drive and, <laughs> and, and coats. <laughs> like, come on, what are we doing here? Um, anyway, I, so you grew up a little bit poor, moving around a little bit. Yeah, I, I try to tell this to people a lot, man. And like California, like even with my friends that still live there, right? And uh, shout out to them. I love them to death. But like, I'm like, you guys can make so much more money. It's not just, you know, property is so much more expensive. Like one of my friends makes just as much money as I do, right? But has three roommates. Right. And that's by design because it wants to save money. And that's, that's fine. Right. But it's like at a certain point, like, where is your financial freedom, you know, and, and how do you enjoy that? And then two is the taxes are insane. Like if I were to go there, the difference between me and my friends taxes is, is astronomical. And that's just state level taxes that are different in California than it is in Ohio. Right. Like thousands of dollars that you would save 
just by moving to a different state. It doesn't have to be Ohio. Well, I think you're seeing a big influx out of California at the moment yeah, to get away from the politics and the taxes yeah. and the real estate, all that kind of stuff. And For you're sure. seeing, honestly, the, the Western countries like uh, Montana and Colorado and Arizona yeah. and a lot of those kind of places blowing up. And then people are realizing, especially now, I that they can work more for, like remotely. Remote. Yeah. They can still have the same job they had, yeah. but only have to maybe fly in or drive in you know, once every month or quarter or something. I forget there was a list of like cities that are like the most booming right now for like a, like house value like housing values. So like Austin being one. Washington, well, I mean Joe Denver, Rogan kind of blew that one for up. sure. Yeah, but like one of them that I didn't expect to be on that list that's a top ten. I think it was like third or fourth is Idaho. Really, Boise, Idaho. Everyone's moving there, which I wanted to move there. So I'm like, now nah, that's ruined. But <laughs> real estate. <laughs> well, not really. There. It's just there's, I mean, there's going to be more people there. But there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. That that honestly makes for a better economy. It there's does. More things going on. There's more things to be offered and whatnot. So it's 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 a plus and a minus, obviously. You you, but, you want to come to that in the beginning, right? Because when you have that huge influx of people coming into a certain area, it doesn't matter where it is. Real estate goes up, right? Property taxes start going up. That's why people really don't like new people coming in, especially like in western parts of Cleveland, eastern parts, like all these rural areas, even probably around here. When people start moving in, they start building developments. Now you need to start expanding cities. Yeah, you need and, to upgrade your sewage system. And like the developments, I call house farms. Yeah. Right? Because like they'll, they're usually around here, especially like, you know, in this small town in northeast Ohio. Yep. You know, they, they contractors will come in, they'll buy up farmland from uh, an old farmer who had died, the family wants nothing to do with it because they don't live around there or what have you. Right. And they'll parcel it up and either sell off into big lots or they'll they'll keep the whole chunk together and then build like a Massive little a little yeah a little cul-de-sac yeah. development you know kind of homes and it, I, I call those house farms and it's like we don't need too many more of those around town like no. but unfortunately like the town keeps growing they keep putting in more stores and everything else and it's like damn it but I mean but it's just it's it's a nice small college town and people like the area and That's how things go like it's it's away from everything but it's still close to everything so it's it's a nice little spot. But and that's like kind of the point, right? Is like I left from California to go to Ohio, right? And I but think that for, happens even school, at a micro scale but, but too. But for school, though, so I think that's a different reason to go. Sure, sure, sure. But like with people working remote, right, and not having to be near any type of like urban area where that's massive with like much more jobs yes. and offices, you'll see people start scaling out and start going out to different areas. Exactly. Right? We just saw one of our teammates uh, leave and go down to Nashville, Tennessee, because yeah. his wife's family was down there and they've got young kids. And they wanted to be down there to be closer to family because now he had the option right. to leave work around here. Right. You know, so like that's that's obviously a great opportunity for him and his family. I mean, it sucks for us because I miss him to death. Yeah. I mean, but I, shout I, out Preston. We I miss and love you, brother. I love Preston so much. I mean, and he's obviously been on the show a, a handful of times. When he's back in town, we'll have him back on the show. But yeah. It's like it's like it sucks to see him go because I love him. You know, but it's also great for him and his family because he has the opportunity now because of the work schedule, which yeah. is great. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of like what to realize, and I guess going taking a step back and going back to, you know, where I was is, you know, California is cool. It's fun. There's you have the beach. If you want to go surf, you want to just hang were you, out. Were at you the close beach. to the beach normally? I was 15 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the beach, just right. going down one road, just head down, head west, and you're at the beach, which is great, right? And it, it's don't get me wrong, like weather is perfect year round. You know, what's cold there is different than cold here, and your body acclimates, and there's a whole science behind that, but. Overall, you know, 60s is the lowest it's going to get there, right? You have the mountains to the east. You have Big Bear, right? You have Mount Baldy. So you can go snowboarding if you want. You can go up north to like Lake Tahoe if you want some more extreme surfing or snowboarding, sorry. You have um, the mountains. You have the desert. You have the redwoods. You have Yosemite up in the north in San Francisco, which is like an hour and a half flight, nine-hour drive. 
Um, you have so much available in California. People don't realize that. And you're so close to Vegas. You're so close to all these. You go to Mexico. Like I go to Tijuana all the time. Just one, get Mexican or get medicine. Sorry. Uh, two, to get Mexican food. Right. Just get some super cheap, delicious tacos, like the best you'll ever have. So don't get me wrong. There's like, it's definitely a nice thing to have. Just too many people there. There's just so <laughs> many people, man. I know you hear uh, Joe Hogan talk about that a lot on the podcast. Like when he moved to Austin, he's like, I didn't realize like how bad everything was until I got here. It's like, holy shit. Yeah, man. It's like there's like people like bitch about traffic now. I'm like, this is adorable. <laughs> it takes you an extra five minutes. Like, it's take me two hours to get anywhere. Like it, that. Not just anywhere. It's like a mile. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's it, crazy. I mean, you, you see videos and stuff of it all the time and it's like i mean obviously you lived through it you saw it but right. for me it's like i think cleveland's too big of a town like i do the, too the hell with this like, i, I do don't want to be there Akron's like, too big for me yeah, like, <laughs> the idea of la is like kiss my ass like there's no way no it, it's it blows my mind how many people live in la it's massive the, the the county of la is larger than the population of ohio right so it, there's a lot of people in la county not just not la but la county i don't want to make that mixed together but um but yeah, there's neither here nor there. But like, like I said, I was just uh, grew up, grew up really poor in in, in LA and in California. We, like we just moved around a bit. So uh, the reason I bring that up is just because everything that we've done, you know, from the start to the finish and where we are now, you know, it, it's possible, right? You kind of just need a want to be able to do something. And when I say poor, I want to put this in, in retrospect. Like, we had an apartment in like in Long Beach, and not a really great area. But we didn't have pots or pans, right, to cook with. Like we had, like, I think one pan, and then we would cook our, like, canned food on the gas stove, right? Put it right on top. So so for us, that's how we started. And, and how we, many were, were in the family? Was it? It was me, my uncle, my mom, and my and my grandma. Okay. So at first, we're all in the same place, you know, kind of doing, like, um, I, so. And I assume it took around. all those incomes to be able to afford anything. And, like, yeah. again, like you said, you yeah. didn't have enough money for, like, pots and pans. Yeah, man. So it was. It was like kind of everyone just kind of contributing towards one goal and, and working together. And, and at a certain point, we did split up. And my, like my uncles went to another state. My grandma got her own apartment. You know, we started doing better. And we were able to do that. But um, that's kind of where we started, right? And, then, I mean, I played football in high school, played soccer in junior high, and realized I was just not. Again, the cardio is not like, there, There's man. lots of running here. This sucks. Like, football, at least it's like sprint rest, sprint rest, sprint rest. <laughs> yeah, man. There's a there's a, there's a lot of things that are going to repeat here. And, like, and, and it all comes back to me not having cardio. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I played football in high school. Um, yeah, we just, just do stuff like that. And it was, like, towards that time where my mom got her first house in California. It was, like, I think before. I think it was, like, and, junior high. And being super poor growing up and having to live with your brother, I assume, right, your uncle. Uh, her, I mean, yeah, her brother, yeah, your yeah, uncle, right, right. and then like, and then their their parent, their mother. It's like that's that's a huge deal to like be stuck in a situation like that. Yeah, you know, get like dig yourself out enough where she can buy her own home. Not to mention one of the most expensive places to buy a home in the country. Right, and this was this is junior high, so like I'm 29 now, so probably like 17 years ago, 18 years ago, maybe right, whatever it was. Um, just full disclaimer, I have no idea about times and years. So if I say like, oh, 17 years back, fact check me. Uh, so whatever it is going on there. <laughs> um, I'm going to deep dive into your life. This is not going to be good. <laughs> we have a timeline drawn out. Like, but, um, but yeah, like that, that was around the first time we got our house. Um, that's in Buena Park, California, like right next, like one city over from Anaheim where Disneyland is right. So decent area. Um, or at least I was at the time. 
Um, and that house was really nice. But the reason my mom was able to get that is she had like a small business. She had like a uh, Mrs. Fields cookies in the mall. Okay. Right. Which at the time was actually pretty good to have. Um, people were still going to the malls, right? Yeah. They're, it was very popular. Yeah, it was huge, man. So like, and you're just, you're selling these delicious cookies. So it, it worked out. My mom. Um, is one of the hardest workers that I've ever met. You know, it's something that I I, I kind of hold in a high regard in my life and kind of – there's a joke that, you know, even for myself that uh, fairly lazy, which I, I do procrastinate things a lot and I do have lazy tendencies, but um, that's everything besides work. So when I go to work, and Shannon says this a lot, or, you know, our coach, you know, whatever it is that I do, I want to be the best at it. I'm going to do my best at it, right? And I – I say the same thing, but I do it a little bit differently. So whatever I do, I want to be not only like really great at it, but I want to be the most efficient at it. To me, efficiency is important. So when I go to work, everything I'm trying to do, whether I'm I'm selling like skateboard decks I'd buy off eBay at school or buying gum from like the 99 cent store, right? And reselling it, you know, which I would do when I was younger. Those little side hustles you had growing up. Yeah, just man. Just kind of being a little entrepreneur. Yeah, trying to. And then um, doing that kind of stuff, like... I'd always try to be the most efficient at whatever I was doing. And that played itself really well into my job currently, right? Just being efficient. I think if you can get that done, in a lot of cases, you know, um, you'll be really be- you'll be better off. Can you give us some examples of what you mean by being the most efficient? Yeah. So, great example. Um, there's a you know software that we used to work with back when I was working with Dev um, at our old company. And I would automate parts of my documentation right? Using our software, which our software would be like, <laughs> give me these keywords, right? So like, you know, customer name, project name, all these different values, right? And I can say, hey, take these values that I feed you, insert it into this templated Word document that I've already had generated and created myself. And it has placeholders that says, hey, this placeholder matches to this keyword, like this company name, project name. And what it would do is it would fill out the documentation for me, like 80%. And that documentation would take you like 10, 15 hours because it's like 70 pages, Right. But I would automate more than half of it just by doing the simple thing that our software was already capable of doing. And it's just an upgrade strategy document. It just tells you like, hey, this is what we're going to do for your, your phase of a project that's upgrading. So it's not like the most important thing. It can be automated. And the company that we worked for ended up automating um, other parts of our, our software or other software documentation using the same kind of similar method. Right. So, again, for me, efficiency is like I think Bill Gates said it. And I'm not a big fan of Bill Gates, but Bill Gates said it like. I, I, he wants to hire the laziest person, right? Because the laziest person is going to find the fastest a better way to do, do it, yeah. Right? Because they don't want to do the work, right? So I kind of go into that mindset, but I'm still a hard worker when I'm working. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So again, being efficient, I think, is is really important. Uh, I I do this even when I'm uh, I'm cooking at home, right? I'm just trying to find things to be more efficient. Uh, and I may not be, and I'm you know very critical of that in, in just like in my day-to-day life. Um, but always trying to find efficiencies, you know, this is the way I've been doing things most of my, my entire life. Okay. All right. So you grew up, you played a couple, a little bit of sports, football, some soccer, um, little, some side hustles here and there. Yeah. Watch, watching your mom hustle is probably a good, uh, uh, what would you say that role model maybe to look up to For kind sure. of like hard work, uh, pays dividends and whatnot, kind of yeah. seeing what she was able to do and buying you guys a house. All right. So, so junior high, you get the house. And then you ended up coming to Ohio for college. Did your mom follow you here or did she stay out there? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, my mom, when I was, I think, 16, 17, um, got a really, really good job offer. Cause, uh, so background on me is like I'm half Arabic and I'm half Samoan, right? Um, my Arabic side is my mom. My Samoan side is my dad, right? My dad took off when I was real young. Um, I still talk to him every now and then, but... 
you know, Beverly just Hills. Just never really been in the picture? Yeah. And I think once I got to like 16, 18, I was like, I just didn't give a shit anymore. I was like, you know, I got my mom and I understood what was most important to be in my life and I know who was there. My dad's just, you know, he just happens to be who my biological father is. No, I, I, I get that 100%. But yeah. can we dig into that for just a touch yeah, if you up? don't mind? Um, so when, when did your dad kind of like leave the picture? Was he like around when you were little and then like he and your mom kind of split up or was it more of like a casual kind of relationship and then you didn't even really know him for a few years or how did that all work out? No. So they were together for a while. They met in community college, uh, out in Long Beach and, um, I think he stuck around up until I was about two or one and a okay, half. Okay, so he was there kind of in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And then when I actually started being able to remember things, like he obviously wasn't there. So he took off at some point and um, just, I'm a, like, just wasn't the picture or just had enough? Or no. My did mom, your mom ever tell you kind of what happened or? Yeah, my mom definitely told me. And the way that, see, this is why I really love my mom as a good person. She loved my dad so much, right? She didn't blame him because my dad had a lot of problems, right? So he was adopted. Um, he's Simone in Long Beach area, so there's a lot of gang stuff going on with him. <laughs> my dad is super tatted up, so he has a lot of tattoos, his fingers, neck, everything like that. Um, and he used to be like a bouncer, like a really strong guy, right? But my mom understood that he had under other problems like being adopted and seeing a lot of things that she didn't really blame him. You know, you're like, you're some, sometimes you're just a problem. Maybe for some of his actions didn't blame him yeah. because of his uh, circumstances and background. So she never reached out. She never wanted child support from him. She just said, Cause, come see your son. That's all that matters. Yeah. You know, so like, I mean, because that, that relationship is important. I'm, I'm a big believer that the children don't need, you know, like a single person a household. Like they need that feminine and masculine yeah. energy it's around them. Well, I really yin-yang. believe that's a yeah. good thing because I know, uh, was it um, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman from the Book of the Five Love Languages talks about this a lot. And he says that there's. Like the, the mother like is all about the family and the children and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the father typically is all about the, the community and making sure everybody's good. If you look back into kind of like how we've evolved and with small tribes and all that kind of stuff, it makes the most sense, right? Because like the, the, the male is worried about how the status is with the community. And then the, uh, the ladies usually worried more about like the children themselves. Like, but it's like, there's the balance there that needs to happen because you can't be just one way or the other. So I really think that there's that good trade off where you you need that in in your life. So I love the fact that she wasn't like, fuck you, get out. It was like, no, like you need to be a part of our son's life. This is important for everyone. Right. So at what point did he kind of just stop? giving a an effort yeah so really what happened that i think shifted everything is just like my dad um met another woman right and uh had a kid that with happens her. a lot <laughs> it does and like me being grown up now i'm like shit i can i can see this happening like, Pe- I people understand. people need love i mean i i can remember uh, a couple of years ago even still uh i had that i believe that facade the lie that society tells you that there's this one magical person that's gonna make you happy and right. fulfill your life and do all this kind of stuff and you're gonna get together and then ride out your days through the sunset and all that bullshit. Right. Which right. is exactly what it is because I've I've obviously found out as I've gotten a little bit older and a little bit wiser as I've realized that, you know, there's going to be multiple people throughout your life that's going to be great for you. Like That brings the, different things to you. Exactly. Like you the, the people that you meet when you're younger, like you need them when you're younger because yeah. they're going to help you grow. And then hopefully you kind of grow and you might grow apart and that's fine. And you yeah. kind of go your own ways and you find somebody new and that's just kind of how life. it works. And not to mention like what, what happens, let's say, of a widower. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, let's say that you had that amazing person that you loved and challenged you and then got you through the middle parts of your years and maybe even raised children together and traveled the world and did all those kind of things. And then one of you is going to die. Sure. It's going to happen. And so it's like, 
is that person now relegated to never finding love again? Like that's bullshit. Right. Like right. they should have the right to go out and find someone else and be happy and or, find, like, or at least that's their decision, right? Uh, like if you, some people just want to like, okay, I met my one and they move on and hey, that's romantic. Good that's, for you, bro. That's their choice. Yeah, exactly. But, and it's just exactly. the lie that society and Hollywood yeah. teaches to all of us is that there is this one magical person that will fulfill you. And it's like, bitch, if no. you're not happy with yourself, no, exactly. no nobody's going to make you happy. Yeah. It's like they can hopefully help you build and grow a better life together, but maybe it's for a short season. Maybe it's maybe it's a night. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a couple months. Yeah. Maybe it's decades. You never know. Right. But I really believe that there's going to be multiple people that's going to be good for you throughout your life. So yeah, that's a super common thing of like, yeah. hey, I'm not together with somebody. I like being in relationships. This is fun. So I want to be with somebody else. And, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't blame him at all. Oh, no, you can't. You know? You can't. And, it's like, and I, I understand it now more as an adult than I did when I was younger. And I was like, oh, in my head, I was like, oh, fuck that dude. You know what I mean? Like, you abandoned me. But like, Most nah. kids would feel that way. And I can yeah. understand that yeah. feeling. You're young. You're, you're, you're immature yeah. about a lot of things in life. You don't yeah. know how things work, you know? And, and, that's, and that's all right. I've learned a ton in my life, and that's fine. Um, but but again, like when was it that he kind of like kind of fell out of the picture a little bit? It, was it like a couple years? Yeah, or? it was a couple years. It okay, was so like years. five, six, maybe before that. Honestly, like really years, okay, yeah, so but pretty quick. Yeah, and he he met a new girl and like had a kid with her, and she just didn't want her want him to see me or my mom. You know, some women do that. Like, I, whatever, man. Some, some are controlling like that. Yeah. yeah, and I again, I understand that. I've seen those women. I've had those relationships. I get it. You know, and some people are more stronger, weaker, more whatever it is. I get that, but as, in my opinion, as a man, you should stand up. And be like, no, this is my kid. Like, you're gonna accept me and him for, like, he's part of me. Like, this yeah. is I need to be a part of his life. If you don't like that, then you can kick rocks and go the, find somebody else to control. A, a big thing in my life is like that. I that happened. I think probably recently or like probably the last four or five years is like. I stopped getting mad about things that I one I can't control, but two, I started under I was been able to understand the the the, mom, the reason why people did something right. Like for my dad, like I I can see why it happened. As long as I can understand that part, like I can see that maybe he was weak, like um like morally or whatever the whatever the word would be in that moment, and he made that decision aside with his current girl. That's fine, dude. I can I can see that happening, and I don't hold anything against it, man. I've I've seen women like that, like holy shit. I've seen my friends be in relationships like that, and they're extremely weak, and they leave their friends for these kind of things. And yeah, they, it happens a lot. It's crazy. So like, I understand it now. I I wouldn't do it personally, but I can understand. I can empathize, and like, I can move on. I'm not going to hold a grudge. Yeah, on, you know. And neither did my mom. Okay, you know? so he wasn't really much in your life after like four or five realistically yeah and to get full by the time you got to like 16 or 18 you're like nah, i'm good here yeah yeah and, and it, i need to pay tribute to where tributes do is like my mom you know did the absolute best right uh, that she could as a mom of course know? she filled in both roles as best she could so I, there's obviously a, there's a ceiling to what you know you definitely need both there's a ceiling to what you know one person can do but she did the absolute max that she did i was a fucking like if you got if you talk to my mom about this like i was crazy in high school like the the things that i was doing the, the parties i was going i was gone all the time versus where i am now you would never have expected it. my mom's friends would always tell her like leave your son behind let him go drown in that rock bottom hole that he's in because i was doing a lot of things i was doing drugs i was drinking a ton it's getting in trouble i got expelled from school i think that's pretty common unfortunately with boys being raised by a single mother because i hate to say it this way but at some point you can't control your son anymore because he yeah. can physically beat you up. 
And now, so at that point, usually things get really bad, sure. and they're going to either go down a dark path, sure. or there's going to be some violence in the home, which is not good. Now, this is full disclaimer, right? So I am 29 now. Um, my mom, we, we, my mom still, she lives with me now. Like we, I got a house, and again, Arabic culture, like your family stays with you forever. Well, let's let's right? be honest. In most of the world, yeah, three yeah. generations, if not four, live together all the time, right? Because you have a house, you have a, a what's called a family unit, right? Yeah. And everyone chips in, everyone gets together. It's and a tribe. It's yeah, a tribe. and th- that's that's how you take care of everyone. That's how you build wealth. Yeah. That's they how want you, your kids. That's how you deal babies. with people through retirement. Yeah. And like again, childbirth and working and those kind of things. Like so, that's how most of the world has lived forever. Yeah. But for some reason, here in America, you have to leave your house at eighteen and go buy a house that's more expensive than you grew up in because you need, you need, you need the status and all these kind of things, right. and you rack right. yourself in all this right. debt. Right. What are we doing? Yeah. It to me, it, it, it's all foreign to me. So like, I love the idea of like having my mom. Don't get me wrong; we fight all the time and stuff like that. It's okay. It's, it's family. You're supposed yeah. to be that way. Exactly, and that's how it goes. But like, <laughs> <laughs> passionate people. <laughs> <laughs> But like, but like, credit to like my mom was you know one of the best people. I, I she did the best that she could, and she did a fantastic job. And, and she'd never abandoned me, right? Uh, even at my worst, um, doing like batshit crazy things, um, she never left me. And then I did hit rock bottom. Um, uh, I'm not gonna go too crazy into detail, it just in case any of my coworkers no, 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 listen no. to it. You, you certainly don't have to go into specific details, yeah. but I'd love to you to cover it generally if you're comfortable with that. Got arrested and had some charges against me. Um, but my mom stayed by my side, and she got me a lawyer, right? She didn't have the money, but she made it happen. And um, I was able to get everything expunged from my record, removed completely. And But then uh, I say, like, that's just kids being kids. It's not that other people didn't get in trouble like that. They probably sure. just didn't get caught. Sure. No, like, a thousand Because, like, we've all done stupid shit. Like, what the fuck were we thinking? Yeah. But it's like... Some of us just didn't get caught, and it's like you realize later, it's like okay, that was fucking stupid. I should never have done that. Right. But it takes time and perspective to be able to see that. No, a hundred percent. And don't get me wrong, like the thing I got caught for was it was a uh, it was definitely not a good thing. So, um, but the good thing that came out of it is you know I was able to one see who my real friends were, right? Which is really small yes, group. that's a, a good group. time when things are bad. You'll see who your real friends are. And I kind of always knew in the back of my head who I could lean on and who I couldn't. But then there was like this really put into perspective. Like, yeah. this is who it is. Like, the people who don't leave you behind on the wayside and the people who stay by you. Like, one of my friends, she would walk um, like 20 minutes just to come hang out with me, you know. And she would come to the house while I was like, I was technically grounded, you know. And uh, as I was coming out of this. And uh, she would come and hang out. And like, so my friends would still come over. Like, shout out to my boys that are in California. Millimeter Peters, right? <laughs> the Rona squad. But, um, you know, like, they stuck by me, right? And, you know, there's a thing that you should surround yourself by people that will make you better. That's true. Yes. Right. I think like 80, 90% of your friends should be like that. Right. But you should still have a, a close place for like really close friends, no matter where they're going to be in life. Well, I've, I have this feeling that your super close friends are family. Yes. And whether they're related to you by blood is irrelevant. In yeah. my opinion, yeah. family is family. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, those kind of friends are the best friends yeah. because that's the family that you choose to love. Yeah. It's not the family that you're forced to love because you're, you're born into it. Yeah. Which like, I mean, I love my family. I, I love, I love seeing them. I love spending time with them, but I would much rather spend the time with my family that are just my friends. Like, but I call them family. Like I've got like, like Andrew is like, like one of my closest friends. I mean, you met him at poker like the yep. other week. I was like, that's my brother. Like, I don't care that he's not blood. Like, he's fucking family. Like, right. I love him. Right. You know, so it's like there's people like that that just, they're they're in your life for a reason. I think that 
you'll be instantly drawn to them and, and they'll prove themselves through time. Like it's exactly what happened here. Yeah. And there's a, there's an Arabic proverb, right? Like, you know, blood is thicker than water, which I think is true. But I think there, that definition is, you know, it can be interpreted differently where I think it's just like your family or whoever you make your family is going to be better than anyone else you, you might have outside of that circle. If they're loyal and they work hard for you. Yes. Because some, but sometimes yes. family will leave you out to dry because they don't give a shit. And that's what I'm saying. You can so you make gotta, you that be, You got to be careful. For sure. Yeah, exactly. For sure. I think the way it is is like I think because Arabs just have such a strong family mentality I, I, I think, that they I just think blindly a lot, say that. a lot of cultures do that and yeah. I understand yeah. that. But still, it's like. Then you get to 30 and you got a shitty uncle and you're like, yo, how did I get here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, all right. So there, there's definitely like uh, some leniency there with how you interpret that quote. But um, well, was your was your mom born here in the States or was she did she come over? No. So, so you were first generation? Yeah, I'm first generation. Okay. Man. Um, my mom was born in Syria, in Damascus, the capital. Um, my so what, what brought her here? Uh, so my grandma had four kids, um, two two sons, two daughters. Um, and she was trying to, my grandpa, uh, was a really good man, right? My mom tells me it all the time. was a great, great father. Um, again, unfortunately, um, and especially in Islam, cause my, uh, my Arabic side is Muslim. My mom and I really, my mom's super relaxed about it. Me, I'm just like, I'm just hanging out, doing whatever I want to do. Right. And, um, for my, for my, um, for my grandma, my, my grandpa, he ended up wanting to remarry, not remarry, but like get another wife, which honestly kind of cool idea but in those kind of religious cultures it's kind of very much frowned upon is it, it not it is not so like it's actually given to you like how mormons are like polyg uh, poly they practice polygamy right okay so same thing with islam you can have uh, I, th I forget how many many wives like two or three what you have to be able to buy each wife that you you introduce a house you have to the first wife has to be agreeable to it um, there's a lot of rules that are there. You can't just do it. You know, Holy shit. It's interesting, man. So if you're baller enough, bro, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the religion, man. <laughs> but uh, it's it's definitely a different thing. And the reason for that is back in the days, like when there was so much war going on, men were going off to war, dying. There was not enough men to what the women ratio was, right? So women had, they couldn't have jobs, couldn't own property because right, that's just how it was back like, what, a thousand years ago? I mean, it was like the same thing in the US, right? So they needed someone to take care of them. The solution to that was have men take multiple wives kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and that was and it it, it worked back then. Cool. Now, maybe it doesn't Did really it really though? I mean, it might have solved some of the problems with like uh men and women, you know, and uh the what would you call that the uh oh goodness here. Wow. Um like the, the skew in the in the uh, like the, the equality, yeah. The, no, yeah. Not, not the equality so much as <laughs> just like the numbers themselves. Just there's so many more women than men, or whatever. I mean, like, it might have solved that problem. Like, oh well, we'll just assign you know four women to every dude or whatever. But it's like they're going to war a lot, is, man. Like yeah, people were fighting a lot back then. Doesn't seem like a good idea. And there was disease and stuff like that. I was like holy shit, man. There's a lot of things going on. Welcome so. to the world. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was the solution then. I. In my head, I think it worked. I guess like it makes sense. Like you know, I can conceptually understand this, but like obviously, I'm not. I'm not a historian, so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what the what the effects were downstream. But um, oh shit, I'm sorry, we totally forgot where I was. Um, so your grandfather grandma, was a good man. Yeah. yeah, my grandpa was a good man, but he, you know, you know, just to his culture, wanted to get a, another wife. And my grandma is like super like feminist. Like she, my grandma was like one of the first people, she got a law degree in Syria. Right. Um, which was like, women don't go to school. Right. Or at least past like high school or junior. Like, but my grandma was like, was a bookworm. She was super nerdy. She loved reading. She was like really into running. So she was, she was like, 
super infatuated like the feminist idea right and getting equality and to this day maybe like a little bit too much you know what i mean like not like quality anymore like going more towards women I'm like all right that's where we you know we gotta draw some lines here but <laughs> you know me and my grandma will like debate about things but like i do agree with her about the you know like quality thing and, and try to match that like for sure but um so she kind of made this thing where she escaped fled the country came to the u.s under i forget what kind of visa um but they took her my my mom and my other uncle and then my aunt and then my my second uncle had to come in like three years later or something like that just because of how paperwork was processed um so they came um my grandma married here um things like that she's taking care of some guy and uh my mom came here like when she was like in junior high okay you know so from junior high until now, like my mom has so a she was degree. old enough to remember what it was like living there. It wasn't yeah. so young that all she has is knowing like what it was like here in the States. Right. It's not like, hey, I was born in L.A., but I left when I was two. Like, yeah, you know, it's, exactly. It's completely different. Like, you're not a Californian. <laughs> <laughs> you were born there, but yeah. you didn't grow up there. Yeah, by association. Yeah, but not culture. <laughs> but yeah, my mom has a – she's definitely very Arabic, uh, very culturally Arabic, but she's super American, you know. And uh, like the funny thing is my mom didn't know pepperoni pizza was, was pork. Until, like, I was, like, 19. And I told her. I was, like, dude, like, you know we've been eating, like, pork this entire time, right? Because my mom, this is the funniest thing. Like, Muslims, fucking, they will they will drink alcohol. They'll have sex pre- like before marriage. They'll do all these things that will get tattoos, right? And some of my friends do this. And you guys know who you are if you guys listen to this. But they refuse to eat pork. Like, they think it's the filthiest, dirtiest animal. It's obviously haram in, like, in Islam. Like, it's, it goes against religion. It's all in, in the Old Testament, too, and Judaism, too. Like, all Abrahamic religions. But... They'll do all these things, but they won't eat pork. It's the funniest thing ever. It's like, this is crazy. You'll get a girl pregnant, but you won't eat pork. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one's worse than the other if you didn't realize that. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> it's, it's very funny where they draw the line. <laughs> hey, whatever people use to justify in their own minds, their actions. It's, it's wild. Up, it's up to them. It's their it's choice. Wild. It's wild. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's my grandpa. And uh, again, my mom, again, doesn't blame my grandpa. She's like, he's a good man. And that's kind of the, the route he took. But So he stayed there? And, and... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He had a family there. And, you know. Awesome. Another family there. He came to visit Ohio um, towards the tail end when my, my mom was in high school, I think. It was just a senior or something like that. So he came to visit, which is cool. He was uh, he was really high up in the military in, in Syria, like really high. Um, so they were like above middle class. Um, uh, so they're doing well. But when they came to the U.S., they were really poor, right? And my mom, coming at that time, I think it was like, what? my mom was born in like 71. So, like, she was probably here in like the late 80s. Like, that was a fucking weird time to be in the U.S., man, especially being a foreigner, you know? And there's all these other things that are going on internationally. So you have this huge amounts of freedom going on that you just got. And um, she just, uh, she got in a bit of trouble herself, too. But she kind of got out of it. Not as nearly as bad as mine. But, um um, we went to California to get away from Ohio just because of a, a really Oh, so, so they accident. originally came to Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, my aunt, um, not to go too deep into it, but her boyfriend shot her in the house in front of my grandma. So that was uh, something really, really sad that kind of affected my family pretty deeply. Um, that just made them leave Ohio, and they went to California. For whatever whatever reason, let's choose the most expensive state to go to, and they went there. Um but that's where they went, and they ended up in California, and that's where we kind of stayed for that entire time, and then until ultimately we left, right? But the way that this all plays in together is, like, we got that house, right, whatever it was, junior high, so, like, what, 17 years ago? When you were living in California. Yeah. When so your mom got her first house after- 2005. After hustling like, and working and doing yeah, all those kind of things. Saving. Yeah. Saving yep. a ton of money, man. Just super, like, like hand tight, fist tight, like, really good with money. Like, 
I'm I'm decent with money, right? And my mom was just, she, I, I, it's like I really wish I could be like her the way that she was super safe. Like she could save, she could budget things. She could I plan think you see out. that a lot with people who come over. Yeah, not 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 that they weren't born here, but now they're choosing to live here. Yeah, and it's like they're realizing this is the fucking land of opportunity. Yeah. If I just hustle and bust my ass and not spend all this money, which, which is what all the Americans do. Right, right. It's like they make a dollar and they spend a dollar fifty. Yeah. Because they want to have status. They want to have like these fancy cars. And yeah. the people who come over who are foreigners don't give a fuck. No, man. You hear no. so many stories of like, oh, yeah, we were sleeping in like a broom closet and just like working a store at the mall until we got, they found us out and they kicked us out after a couple of years, but we'd already <laughs> saved up so much money. We bought our own place and this yeah. and that. And it's like, yeah. holy shit, how do you live like that? But the way to them, it's like, it. Fucking better than we were living before. Like, it's already an upgrade. It, like, I got a bathroom I can go into. This is awesome. It makes you reflect, right? It makes you reflect uh, upon. For some people who look into it, I think it can help you reflect. But yeah. I think most people are completely oblivious to it because they're so stuck fucking watching stupid TikTok videos on their goddamn phones. Yeah. And I think that it's cultural, too, because even in, in, like, Syria, they were still the same way. Like, you know, they grew up with certain luxuries because they're about, like, at a certain rate in, in society, right? Just because my grandpa's, like, where he was in the military. But they still weren't, like, rich. They weren't bougie. They didn't have, like, all these villas with, like, all these vacation homes, you know? But, like, they still had, like, really nice stuff, right? They had, like, a chauffeur and, like, a, someone to clean, right? But nothing crazy. Because, like, you have that by, like, I mean, by uh, by bare minimum in, like, a lot of Arabic countries, right? Okay. But, um... Like, when they came here, they, there's just that understanding, like, okay, holy shit. They, well, first of all, things are expensive. Two, we have no safety net. You yeah. Know? I have my grandma. We have our family. Yeah, all right? we have it's is what's living here in our house. Like, just right. our family. That's all we have. The, nothing else. Like, nothing is keeping you from the street, right? And it's like, for us, like, if we lost our house, God forbid, you know, we could go to our family's house. We go yeah. to our friend's house. I've got multiple friends and yeah. families I could call them, like, hey, can I crash with you for a few weeks until I get back on my feet or whatever? Like, yeah, like, we've all got that. Yeah. And I think it changes... I think the way that you have to kind of play the game for sure. Oh yeah. You know? That's a good point. I never thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. And and it came, and again, I, I didn't grow up. I grew up extremely poor. You know, right. And I'm, I'm very, I have this argument with my buddy. Um, Cause he came from overseas and he's, he's my best friend, but like um, I was the, the cheapest, like I would find coupons for everything. And I would, I would take hours. Like when I would book all these travel places that I was going all over the country, all over the world, like I'm finding the cheapest way to get there, like hostels and, and hotels and the cheapest rates and coupons and coupons on top of those coupons, the double stack and um, finding out shady ways to get more money back. <laughs> IBM thing, the IBM jacket that I wore that I was telling you about. Like I, I, I make these ploys like save money and like it, it works. But um, yeah, I have that. But I've gone more to the point now that I've had, you know, a better, a much more decent salary where I can be uh, instead of buying super cheap things, just keep rebuying them kind of closing that cycle out and it's all made in China to the point where I'm getting more high quality stuff, right? Buy it for life, yes. American made, things like that. And that's kind of like shifted my focus where I'm now more okay with buying things that are more expensive. And I think most people get there later in life and they realize, you know what? It's sometimes it's buy once, cry once, you yeah, know, save exactly. up, save up your money, do it right and be done with it. Yeah. You don't always have to get the most expensive thing because no. usually that's a waste, Yeah, but there's usually the best value somewhere and it's never the least expensive right. ever. Right. No, a thousand percent agree. And that's kind of like where like I've done a ton of research on things that I buy now and I'm like, all right, this is the most optimal thing to buy for this specific item, right? Like a vacuum cleaner, for instance, right? Yeah. Don't buy a Dyson. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at Best Buy. Like they're absolute trash. They used to be great like 20 years ago, but. All right. So, so kind of rolling back into this. So long story, like. Families all, they started in Ohio, they moved to California, 
they're all struggling, working together. Like, looks sounds like your grandma and your uncle moved out. It's just you and your mom. And then she bought her own house from all the hustling and hard work and saving that she did. Yeah. And then you decided to come back to to Ohio to go to college. And it sounds like she followed you, right? So that's about where we're at. Yeah. So th- that was the that's actually what started this all. So my mom got a really good job. So her good job was to go overseas with the Department of Defense as a contractor. Uh, with like a contracting company and work for them, like um, like L3 Communications and um, Lados and all those guys that do those and get those contracts. And uh, she was just a translator. So she would translate in, uh, Arabic to English and English to Arabic with, you know, special forces, soldiers, you know, talking, like translating news media. Because my mom had a bachelor's degree from uh, Cal State Long Beach uh, in criminal justice, right? Um, so she got that job. It paid stupid money. Like a money that like, the stories you hear about like laundry people doing laundry like in these facilities as contractors were making like ninety to a hundred thousand dollars just doing laundry on bases because they were contractors not actual um like servicemen or anything like that yeah. that were in the military like just making buku bucks or doing stupid shit so obviously she is in danger right she's going into active missions going to towns going on like special operations in the middle of the night you know helicopters like having to communicate between special force guys and these guys so a lot of stuff going on there <laughs> that was the shift where it's like, okay, now we can, now we have a house, but now we can go buy real estate. Yeah, but that's obviously after she's hustling, Thousand paying the percent. bills, going to college. It sounds like it was probably after the, in the recession. Evenings. It was after 2008. Okay. My mom kept her house when we weren't making that much money. And she got like on this Obama thing that he was doing, which I forgot what it was, but like they're like, they were supplementing people's mortgages, but like she did all that, was stayed on it. I think it took like seven months of just calling nonstop. And she's, she's always on it. That's why I love it. My mom is relentless. For me, I'm like, fuck, I get lazy. I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'll get over it. I'm like, I'll just lose my house, right? My mom was like, no, I'm going to keep this and keep yeah. going for well, it. Well, I mean, and- think of it. It's the most prized value she's ever had in her life. Exactly. So I'm going to fucking fight for this. Tooth and nail. And that, that's, that's the great thing about this kind of – this well, country set up like the way we have it set up is that there are programs like that that are meant to help people out into hard times. The yeah. problem that I see is that some people take advantage of that and they use it for a living. And it's like, no, 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 no. The idea is for you to use that to help you get a leg up yeah. and get back on your own two feet. Yeah. And then you can help either pay that forward or pay it back. Like, it's not meant for you to fucking live on. No. So that's the problem no. that we need to get rid of. But I love the fact that those options are available for somebody like your mom who's out there hustling, working, like what well, she was making cookies or whatever yeah. she was doing in the mall, yeah. do, going to school in the evenings and then got this crazy high paying job with the government, you know, doing super crazy, dangerous stuff. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, good for her, but damn. Yeah, really you know? dangerous. I mean, most of yeah. that money was danger pay. I mean, but think, I mean, because she probably could have made a, a good living, like making cookies or doing whatever sure. in the mall she, she was doing. She could have even got a job done at a like different, a prison. Yeah, different like business, a, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like she was going to make it work. Yeah. So I love the fact that she was using all the tools and benefits there available to her to better herself and to better her family for sure fucking love it no a thousand and that's kind of like the american dream right when you have like i mean an immigrant coming into the country and making them something of themselves people don't want to think about it that way because like i know people always ask me like oh what nationality are like i'm fucking american yeah like what do you mean like where's your family from like fucking america right i'm american i I don't know how long like my family's been here but it's been a handful of generations so it's like the idea of like saying, oh, yeah, well, my grandfather came over. Like, what? like no, no I was came like, there's probably like great, 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 great. I don't fucking know yeah. exactly. But it's like, I I'm, I know it's not my great and I don't think it's even my great, great. I think they were still here. So it might have been like three ago that they came over. I don't know exactly. Right. You know, but it's like 
But most people aren't that way. It's like, oh, well, my father came over. Oh, well, my grandfather came over or whatever. Right. So it's like, that's the fucking American dream. And people don't want to think about that. Like, oh, well, what about the Americans? Like, well, bitch, you came over here too. You came from somewhere. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? It's like, y- your family did the exact same goddamn thing. I don't right. care if it was the 1700s or 1800s. Right. Like, they still did the same thing. Right. And there's, it's not to go without saying, like, you know, there's definitely rules that are needed and all these things. Like, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I 100% agree, right? Like, I mean, when I go to other countries, I don't say, like, hey, I'm Syrian, Samoan, American. Well, the, the, people American. I think the great thing you about know? you is, like, you've traveled all over the world, which bit, we yeah. will have to have you back on the show and talk about some of that because I've never been out of the country. Because, like, like, for Talk me, it's, it's been time to hustle. I had my daughter young, so it's like, we got to work. we got to deal. Like, all my vacation time was spent with her. So, yeah. like, if she was home for, like, summer or Christmas or whatever, it's like, there's not been time to travel. So, now that I'm a little bit older and she's a little bit older, it's like, oh, I can maybe start to travel a little bit now. This, this could be fun. But right. I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. Whereas, wherever you go, I think you can kind of blend in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which, which, that's a great advantage for you. Yeah, in Brazil, they thought I was, port- they thought I was Brazilian. I was yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, I speak English, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. No, it's and I would love to come. I could talk about travel for days. Oh, trust so, me, I understand that. Oh it's, it's a big passion yeah. of yours. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so your mom got that crazy job, and it really kind of benefited everything. It ballooned everything. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of catapulted this into like the ability, like oh eight happened, <laughs> and which uh, is the housing market crash, right? And I think a year after that, like my mom started like the job. I can't remember when, but sometime around that at that time. But like a year after that, or a year or two after that, we bought a house in San Bernardino in California, right? And they got it really cheap, like one hundred fifty thousand. Um, uh, so we got it for one hundred fifty. If you look at it now, it's worth like three forty, right? So equity in Cal the. Re- Talking about real estate strategy in general, right? There's a whole lot of things that go into what, where you buy real estate and why you buy it. You know, my mom loves California because, you know, you can get a ton of equity. You know, obviously there's a ton of things that happen from 08 to now that I don't think will repeat, but the growth will still happen. California's equity is insane. Isn't that, Ohio equity stays with inflation year over year. Yes. Stays with inflation. It's nothing that's, crazy. That's typical for right. most places unless there's a big boom. Exactly. Exactly. Like Austin, Idaho, like these yeah. crazy things that came out of nowhere. Like, yeah. But you can't project those Most things. of the time, it's just with inflation. Yeah. But California, on the other hand, it, it doubles that. Sometimes it triples that. It's, it's crazy how much growth that they have on a year-over-year basis. So my mom loves California. I hate California because of the crazy politics and the, the tenant rights that they give tenants, right? Which is not a bad thing, but they, just like everything else in California, they just take it too far. And and it kind of screws landlords, right? And, yes. In a really big way. So I'm not a fan of that. But so well, again, it's like you got people making these laws and regulations who have no real world experience. They, they've only ever been in politics and bullshit, the, and and they're just doing it to get reelected. They could care less about what 100%. it actually means for anybody else. A lot like, of times, oh, look at this amazing thing that I did. Well, kiss my ass, like. You don't have to deal with that shit. Look what I have to deal with. And you call to ask them about it. And they're like, oh, well, uh, uh, they haven't got no answer for it because right. there isn't one. No, because they'll go from, you know, they'll go straight from university into like an internship and an internship into like a political job, which ultimately would become like a senator or house representative. Like, but they never have real life experience. They never go never. to the, the, like, the private industry. They never go to private. They, ne- they don't do that. They don't open a small business. So you are making laws that that govern all these entities and you've never had direct experience with it. There's something really wrong with that. Very, very wrong. Whole nother discussion. But, you know, but again, that's kind of my thing with California. My mom loves it just because of the equity, right? My mom, my mom is, uh, she's good with real estate because she obviously got to this point. Um, she had a, like a really, a lot of good things that just timing wise 
worked out for her really well. And I think that's what people need to understand about real estate is there's a lot of planning that goes into things. You need to understand numbers and, and calculations and how you can get your ROIs where you need them to be, like a return on investment. But you also need to have sometimes decent luck and not to be timed badly. Like right now, how interest rates are 7% and they're like, what, four months ago, they were like 3 4%? Yeah. It's fucking insane. This is crazy. Right. So sometimes you just have a bad luck of draw. Like a yeah. Bad, you know. But it, like, like you said, it's a lot about timing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so she bought the house in San Bernardino. Yeah. So she got that house. We it had a renter in it already, so we just kept that renter in there. He's okay. In so she now. bought it as a rental, as a as a property to make money. Yeah. It wasn't like that. You guys were moving. No. She was like, okay, well, hey, I've got this great new job. I've got some extra cash around. I'm. I hate to say it. She's probably a penny pincher. Probably living very frugally. So yeah. she's like, well, I've got all this extra money, so let me put it into something that can make me a return. Yeah. So she started to get into real estate. Yeah. That's a thousand percent it. And we've kind of kept that same tenant. He's still there to this day. Um, and he, he pays us on mostly on time. But again, it's not about, you know, real estate's weird, man. But like, you know, you want to have someone that over time in the aggregate pays their rent mostly on time, right? If they miss three, four, five days, whatever, who gives a shit? Like, it's, it's going to happen. Life happens. Yeah. We've, we've all been there. Yeah. It's just how it goes. So you have to expect that. Exactly. When, 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 they're, when they're late every month, it's like, well, this isn't a good yeah. tenant anymore. There's retaliations for that, for sure. Yeah. Right. And you may, you, you can't keep that in your back pocket, but you don't want to sour that relationship. So for us, we, we've kept things, you know, like really offhand. He has the house. Something comes up, he calls us, we fix it and we move on. Right. Um, that's kind of the start to real estate. And that was kind of my start into real estate because, you know, when something happened at the house, my mom would like, cause she was overseas, would ask me to go you know, look at it, figure out who, what needed to be fixed. You know, like there's tree roots going into the plumbing, uh, figure that out. If something's, you know, there's like, uh, um, water that's come, that's coming out of one of the pipes and it's damaging the kitchen and it's blown out. Right. So a lot of things that I learned kind of just from that point on, I picked up on. And when I moved from California to Ohio, Right. Ultimately for college. Right. This is some time after just from like 15, 16, helping out with mom's rental. I moved to college. I already had a ton of years of experience just going to houses, talking to tenants like it was super casual, you know. So and I work at the cookie store. So I'm really good with people. I love talking to people. Obviously, I talk a ton, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe too much sometimes. And that kind of plays itself into what my job is, right? What I do, like consulting. And I I talk to people about, you know, what our software can do. And then I actually do that. I configure the software and implement them like a, like an enterprise-grade system, right? And that that's a whole other conversation. But ultimately, like everything that I've done in life has kind of contributed to what I'm doing now. Okay. Which is great. Um, but kind of back to like the rental stuff is like when I moved from California to Ohio – we, you know, it's like, all right, what do you do with the house that we have there, right? It's a big house. It's like three, four bedrooms, whatever it is. Um, what do you Normally, do? you would sell it and right. then buy a house here in Ohio. The problem is, is like my mom was overseas. So she's like, I don't want to sell it because like, she's like, she loves that house. She hated Ohio. Me and my mom both hated Ohio before we came here. It's just, we're just super bored, you know, there's nothing to do. So um, I would hate coming to Ohio to visit my grandma because my grandma ended up moving back, you know, before I did, like 10 years before I did. Okay. Um, and she ended up buying rentals and she did her thing. She had a few houses in Akron, a couple of houses in Kent now. Your grandma. Yeah, my grandma. Because okay. my grandma also went overseas. So, you know, where there's money, you know, like my, my mom, my grandma went after my mom and my grandma was like fucking 60, man, you know, I'm sorry. My grandma went before my mom. I'm sorry. My mom, my grandma went with Operation Desert Storm. It's like the original, like very start of it. My mom went towards like the, the middle of it. My grandma went in the start of it and my grandma has a law degree from Case Western. So not only does she have a law degree from Syria, she came here again. My grandma was like super nerdy, really loves books, reading became a lawyer and then she like got her, she has a JD. She has all this other stuff. Like, I don't know all the things about lawyers and shit like that, but 
Uh, she's she's wicked smart, man. You know what I mean? Um, so she went over there, but she was doing a little bit more more things towards the legal side because she could do the Arabic and the and the and the English the American okay. side. Um, but again, she was making good money, so she bought rentals. She bought house. She bought the original house that my grandma that they were in with her ex husband at the time when they first moved to Ohio to the United States from Syria. She bought that house, the house next to it. So unfortunately, that's where my my aunt was. And then she bought a bunch of other properties and stuff like that, and then started renting them. Okay, you know. Um, now I want this, you know, full disclaimer, like that, those were the catalysts that kind of allowed us to get these things. Right. I don't have that catalyst and I don't use my mom. Like I don't, I don't ask my, I, I always had this thing where I like, I don't want to ask my family for money. Right. I've never done that. I, you know, I always try to pay for my own things. When I was in college, if I ever needed help, my mom would help me. Right. So I knew I had that I mean, there. Parents do that. That's, for that's sure. the idea is. But even at a young age, I didn't want to be, you know, that way. I don't want to take money from people if I didn't have to. So I was, I would work two jobs. I would work however many. I didn't, didn't matter. I'd find a way, right? And I've been saving money for a long time, and that ultimately led to me buying the house that I had when I was like, I think I was twenty or twenty-one. Okay, I was like when I got out of college, or maybe twenty-two. Okay, so so it sounds like your mom was in a interesting situation where she was overseas working. She's making good money. She's starting to invest in real estate. You're moving back to Ohio for school. Uh, she wants to be with you, but she doesn't want to sell her house. Right. So she kind of got into renting that one <laughs> along with some of the other, like the other one that she bought to make some money and do whatever. Make some money, but hold and, the house in case she wants, she wants to come back. But then you guys right. have kind of looked at it, if, if I'm listening correctly, is like sure. you've kind of looked at it as like a family business where you're kind of helping her manage the rentals. She's the one kind of like buying them at first because she has the money. You're still yeah. a kid. Right. Right. And then you're going off to school and now you're, you're seeing this like – well, this is what my mom does. Like, I want to do this too. This is a great idea. So that kind of what got you into it. Right. And obviously your grandma has gotten into it as well. Was she the first one maybe? Or was it your mom? Or My grandma was the first one. Okay. Yeah. So so she kind of did it. Probably talked to your mom about it. So she's like, well, shit, I could do that too. And yeah. started getting into it. So it's, yeah. it's all kind of stemming from your grandma. And, and the bigger thing that I want people to realize too is like, you know, and I, it just could be culture. It could be just a close family, whatever you want to call it. If my mom asked me to sell my house, right, today- Without question, call a realtor and I'll put it up for sale and I'll give her all the money without, without hesitation. There's no, there's no problems there. If my mom asked me like, how much money do you have in your savings? All right. A, a dollar, 10,000, a million, doesn't matter. My mom asked for all of it. I'll give it to her. Right. That's, that is the relationship because it is reciprocated as well. You know, my mom needs something. She's like, I need you to go to California to look at, you know, what the hell's going on with this house. The solar panels being installed. I'll fly out. I'll book it. I don't give a shit. Like obviously I love traveling. So I'll do that. But that, that's the that's the dynamic of our, of our family. So when I say a lot of these properties in the beginning, I say like she bought it, my grandma bought it, I got this. But what I say now is I say we. Yeah, because now, again, it's it it's a family unit. You guys are all working together. Yeah. It's not like, oh, well, those are her houses. These are my houses. These are grandma's houses. Bullshit. Right. They're our houses. Exactly. Because now that we think like that, there's value. I think in- I think that frees a lot of things up as well because it takes it the muddiness out of it. it. It takes the muddiness out of it, but it also it makes you stronger because there's a value in being isolated, like me not wanting any money from my mom in the start. Like because you have it forces you to understand the value of money. It's kind of like poker, right? If you're not gambling with your own money, there's no real value. To yeah, it. and you know I've I mean? I've definitely talked about that for years. Yeah. I love playing poker. I'm glad that I'm starting to play poker again here now. Recently, that we've got enough guys that we can play, yep. and I'm uh, super excited about that. But it's like. You can teach someone how to play, but until your money's on the line, even if it's just a couple bucks, right. until your money's on the line, it doesn't mean anything. Because, exactly. oh, they're just chips. I don't give a shit. But right. once you're like, well, shit, that's my money, whether it's you know a, an extra trip to freaking Taco Bell to get, get a 10-pack of tacos, right. or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's right. like still, it's like, shit, like, 
that's that's still my money. There's value there, yes. right? And there's lessons to be learned, and, and, and it teaches you a different way to strategize when yes. you're doing things. Yes. And it's important. It's absolutely important. So I needed that in the beginning, and kind of where we are now is like just a lot of we stuff. So like me and my mom will be talking about things, and I'll be talking about different like real estate strategies that we should do. And I'm like, you know, we can take the houses here and take money from these, and we can go buy real estate here. We can do – like now we talk about like we. There's no more like I. Like I have these houses. My mom has these houses. It's all It's all one portfolio now, right? <laughs> and ultimately, like, you know, my mom's to the point where she's worked so much. She has, unfortunately, has a, she has PTSD, like, really bad, right? So Ooh, I can only imagine. It's brutal, man. Like, it's, having it's come, coming over to here in, like, junior high-ish and understanding what life's really like there. And then yeah. going back as an adult, doing the kind of missions that she was doing with the Spec Op guys. Yeah. Fuck me. Like, that's got to be so stressful. Yeah, and there's things that she can't even talk about. And I'm like, it's, well, of course. it's really fucked up. And it's like... Knowing how my mom was before she left and how she came back. And the, the worst part of it is, is like I told my mom this and a lot of people were like, yeah, mom, they're like, yeah, go make more money. And for me, I told my mom, like, you know, I'd rather have my mom fully. Right. And she could have stayed in a, in a safer city, like country like Jordan, which is right next to Syria. But it's super safe. I mean, their, their dollar is worth more than ours. Right. It's linked more to like the British pound than anything. But super stable country. Super stable. Like it's a partner for the for the UK, it's a partner for the for the US in the in that region, right? They have good relations with Israel, so that it's it's a, it's a safe country. My mom could have stayed there, and made way less money. Don't get me wrong. There's no danger pay. Danger pay is what makes you know your salary and just doubles. It. Oh yeah, makes it crazy. Oh yeah, you know. And there's no taxes when you're overseas. It's just like your your typical like Social Security and like Medicaid. There's no or Medicare. There's no other. There's no federal taxes, no state taxes, right? So you're making a lot of money, right? But my mom opted in to do it, and I said, I'm like, don't do it. You know, you're going you're gonna to see some fucked up shit, right? And I'd rather have my mom. It's not just seeing fucked up shit, but it's the risk of dying. Yes. Which is very possible. Like IEDs, things are dead. Like one of her um, contractor friends died on a mission that she was supposed to go help with, but she couldn't go because I forget what the reason was. She, that person died. The thing exploded. The whole, the whole task force was gone, right? So it, it changes things, right? Yes. yes. It changes a lot It really of things. puts things in perspective because like – if I would have gone, I, I would I would have been one of them. I would have yeah. been one of the casualties. Yeah, man, and it's it's got a way heavy. It's not a good number. It's not a good thing to gamble with, right? No, you know, it's, it's your life, dude. And it's and I I told my mom like I'd rather be poor and have you than have money and all these houses and not have you. There's no point to that, right? At the end of the day, we fight and everything like that, but I want my mom, you know, and that to me is important. And thankfully, she came back, um, but unfortunately, it just has you know the PTSD as a result, and um, it's kind of but it, it's gotten us to this place. Uh, my mom does a lot of things, you know, for for her family, right? To kind of progress us forward, even at the detriment or the, uh, at her own um, sacrifices, right? And it, it's commendable. But I, I don't, I'm like, no, I don't want that. I have no, I, like, we can do this slower. That's fine with exactly. me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, there's no need to, no. like, do it to a detriment of yourself. Like, we'll get there eventually. Like, right. just slow your roll, lady. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and that's kind of where we are, right? But, um. It's neither here. What it, what is it's what said is done. So she's already gone through that, and and here we are now. And it's like you know our real estate strategy is different, right? So now we have um, we have houses that are paid off. We have um, houses in Ohio. We have houses in California. And I'm constantly trying to figure out what are the best things that we can do strategically um, to get us more houses to reduce our taxes, right? And I tell this to everyone, right? I'm more than happy to pay taxes. I, and I do obviously pay taxes right now on my like my income that I make from my job. <laughs> However, when I pay taxes, the amount that I'm paying, and I'm still hitting potholes on the fucking freeway, right? Like for like nine months out of the year, 
And then, and I'm like, and I'm seeing all these things that aren't happening in the cities, and they're like, they're not actually using these taxes for anything, and they yeah. keep going up. It's like, all right, this is a problem. Like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, you know? I, I think most, I think most people realize with enough, enough trips around the sun is like, the government is typically wasting away the money that we're giving them, and they're squandering it on just bullshit. There's, there's no reason, like nothing's getting done with the money they're actually taking in. Like they're in, just wasting it. Like in COVID, they gave $2 trillion to, to corporations as a bailout that they didn't need to ask in return. Like the airlines and stuff like that and the cruise lines, they, $2 trillion. Like people don't conceptually understand how much money that is. It's the largest transfer wealth that's ever happened in the history of this planet. It's never happened, right? And then obviously they had the another two, like I think a 1.4 million, the trillion that came out to like all these... uh the thousand dollar things that they're doing, right? That everyone, everyone was getting, if you made below a certain amount of money, which, all right, whatever. Like this all causes what we're seeing now. Like there's a whole another conversation with that. Right. But the, the point is like, you know, people who are like super wealthy, like Warren Buffett and all these guys, right. Elon Musk and even like corporations, Netflix, they take advantage of these tax. I'm not even gonna say loopholes. Cause you know, some, there's a, a lot of those have been closed, right. In retrospect, but there's still abilities to do it, but there's things in the, in the tax code that allow you, um, that encourage, you know, real estate investors, small business owners to kind of have more risk by getting more property. What they don't realize in turn, or maybe they did, is that you can still safely do that and take advantage of those incentives, right? So like we were talking about this the other day, you know, like our real estate has kind of changed strategy wise. It's no longer, this is like my mom bought the house in California in San Bernardino not knowing, you know, she didn't do any numbers on it. There was no calculations. It's just like, okay, we buy it for this much. We can rent it for this much. Super simple equity, everything we kind of lucked out and it kind of grew to where it is now. Okay. What we're doing now is like, and we we're talking about this the other day is like, you can, there's strategies to real estate. Right. And one thing I was saying that I, you know, I thought about this when I was in high school at a super high level, not a genius. Right. And it's a very simple idea because of how I learned how like refinancing works and like all these other terms, you know, there's the Burr method, right? And that's kind of how we've shifted our gears now because that to me is the fastest way to grow your portfolio of rentals um, if you do it in a controlled manner. Because you can definitely do this method and get way out of control. You can have too much properties with a ton of debt and you're at risk because you don't have any capital, right, to back you in case, let's say, half or all of your rentals just no longer have tenants that are paying for themselves, right? You need to have capital reserves that can cover your ass for like three, four, five months, whatever it is. You, yeah. know, you, need, to, you need to plan and budget for that accordingly. Like COVID. You know I me, mean? people lost their properties, like rental properties, because they couldn't evict and they couldn't rent it because they weren't getting money. And some of them were getting things from the banks like, hey, you can pay us like in a year all of the money that you owe. Right for that year, and it's like, okay, this is this is batshit crazy. It's like, hey, dumbass, if I could pay it, I pay it now. Like, I can't owe it all later. Then I don't have any money coming in, right? Because I've I've been told by the government that I can't go to work. It, and not only that, they were protecting banks and they were protecting tenants, but then they screwed landlords, yeah, screwed massively. everyone who was a business owner. Because guess what? All these people making these like laws and regulations yep. aren't fucking business owners. <laughs> a thousand percent, and that's kind of like what brought us full circle was, you know, and this kind of goes back to like treating your tenants um, well. Thankfully, we didn't. We weren't impacted by that. You know, I think one of our tenants lost their job, but they were able to get um, employment, and then they quickly got a new job. Right? We reduced the rents for a lot of our tenants that were that were affected by it. You know, either not making enough money or they're making significantly less money. It's fine. You know, 
<laughs> each one we took it on a case-by-case basis because at that time I was managing pretty much all the properties, right? My mom is still hands-on for a lot of things, but for the most part, you know, like our tenants knack and will call me if anything com- comes up, yeah. anything in California, right? Um, I was like, okay, what can you afford? Like, what can you do? Like, I understand this is shitty. I don't want to lose you as a tenant because now I'm going to have to go find a new tenant. I'm going to have to repaint. I'm going to have to fix shit. I might have to replace some things, you know, and I might not be able to find a tenant, right? So the... The logical thought is like, okay, how can I keep this person in here temporarily at a lower rate and then, you know, increase the rent back to normal when things go back to normal. Um, there's, there's good and bad there because it's a, it's a kind act to do to another human being. And it's also in your best interest as a business owner, right? As, as a landlord, because you have a tenant that you know is good to you. They're, they're being transparent. You can work with them on that and get back to the, you know, the same page whenever they start making the same amount of money. Yeah. And not to mention it's better than just kicking them out. And then having no, having no money coming in, now you're going to spend money, like you said, and like kind of renovate the place because you like to do that with all your properties. Yep. You said that like when somebody moves out, you go in, you freshen things up, you make things nice, you repaint everything, you fix anything that's broken, you probably put in new carpet or whatever when it's needed. It's like you have to make the places nice. If, you, if they're not nice, you're not going to attract, attract the right tenants. kind of tenants. Right. Exactly. And, and this is what we were talking about. I was like, I want to attract a tenant that's like me, right? I want to look, I want to put things in this rental that are things that I want because I'm a good tenant. I've never left a place trash. I would clean. I would get a carpet cleaner to clean the carpets right after I left, which I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure that I gave this back to them the way they gave it to me. And I get my full deposit back, right? Yeah. And I've had rentals. Like, and my mom has rentals. So, like, for me, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is – I don't want to be a piece of shit. You know what I mean? So, it's like, all right, this is how it goes. Um, but what's going on with that is – sorry, I guess I'm my It's your finger. No, it's only just start bugging the hell out of me. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> no, you're my good. eyelash or something, but um, <laughs> you're good. Sorry about that. Um, but with our rentals, sorry, I totally lost where we were at. Uh, we were basically talking about the Burr method, talking about how it changed how you do yeah. with your rentals and quality rentals, right? And quality of tenants. Sorry. So for me, like, there's people out there that are slumlords, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, Somebody's got to do it. Someone has to do Somebody it. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> someone has to do it. There's. I tell people this all the time. Like, there's the world needs. All types of people. We don't need just all type like people just like you, just like me, right? We need different kinds of people working together, working towards some sort of goal, right? And that's kind of the world. And that's kind of helped me understand like, all right, there's these kinds of people here. It's needed, right? For whatever reason, good or bad, it's needed. So slumlords are needed, but that's not – those aren't the kind of tenants that I want to attract. And that's not the kind of way that I want to run um, a business, a rental, right? The, the give, Like a case in point, like an example to give is like, you know, in California, my mom has a friend – um, who will get houses right now, which if you buy a house right now, that's like, let's say it's being rented or a single family or a duplex in California with the interest rates that they are with the crazy prices that the houses are, there's no way you can turn a profit with existing tenants. What do you mean? Because if you have an existing tenant in that house and they're paying, let's say 1500 bucks a month, cause that's what they paid six years ago. Right. Or even like two years ago. So how crazy things have gotten rental wise or three years ago, you can take, you can buy a house. You cannot keep the way your mortgage is going to be, how high it is because of how high the interest rates and how high you just bought that house, right? Uh, at face value, you can't keep that tenant there at the same rate. And let's say they've been there for like 10 years and every year they rent increases by 2%, whatever it is. They've been there. That, that's a case that happens with my mom's friend. She'll say, hey, we're, we have the ability in California, they allowed this because usually you couldn't increase it by this much because of inflation, they have allowed it. So now it used to be like controlled, like rent control. You can only do a certain percent, like four or 5%. Now you can upgrade uh, to 10%. 
every two months. You can Holy shit, time. two months? Every two months, as long as it's not a, a multifamily property, like duplex, triplex, quadplex. So if it's a single family home or if it's a you know a house that has multiple things on the land, but it's not it's not by the city or county categorized as a multifamily home, you can do it every two months, 10%. Which she'll do. She'll get single family homes, right? That have people there, increase their rent. She's like, hey, like I have to increase your rent. And it's kind of like Section 8 people too, which is kind of fucked up. And we're actually really fucked up. And we'll increase their rents, right? And if they can't pay it, she's like, you just have to leave, right? And for me, I can't have that conversation. Like I, I'm not going to say like I'm a better person or I'm a good person. It's just like on my conscience, I just, I can't take someone who's been somewhere for 10, 15 years, which is a, most of the times is the case, and tell them, hey, we're going to, significantly increase your rent um not only now but also again in two months because that's what it allows to make this profitable for me right like to me that's i just can't do that you know it's just not, i just don't have the heart to do that so for me what makes more sense to me is the burr method <laughs> because burr is i forget what the acronym is it's like buy uh rehab refinance rent or something like that i think it's like burr it's like buy yeah buy rehab refinance rent Right. And the whole steps to that is you buy a property, right, that needs to be fixed. So you can buy a house. And the example that I always give here is you can buy a house for, let's say, $10,000. You buy a house for $10,000 that needs a lot of work. And let's say in this example, a lot of work is $80,000 or $90,000 of work. So you put in $90,000 of material, um, everything that you need to buy, you, you paid subcontractors, you get the job done, you replace a roof, you put a new HVAC, you know, you, you replace windows, whatever the hell it is you, you do. You literally renovate the entire house. Yeah, you do whatever that property calls for because every house is different what it needs, right? As long as you get a house that has like structurally like sound foundation. Good bones, as they say. Exactly. Like you can, you can do, you have a lot of we, uh, leeway with what you can do. You just need to get it for the right price. So you take that house, as long as you can get it up, you put $90,000, you put in 10000 to buy that house. Put in ninety thousand to fix it. You have a hundred thousand, hundred thousand dollars that you've put of your own money into that house. So what you do next is right. So you buy. You already did that ten thousand. You um, <laughs> rehab ninety thousand, hundred thousand total. The next step is to refinance. When you buy a house at ten thousand, you put in ninety thousand to fix it. The house isn't worth a hundred thousand. It's it's weird how this works and how it'll appraise. It'll appraise at a higher value. Really? It, it might appraise at like 150000 180000 and, and people are like, what does that mean? Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, there's an appraiser that comes. He looks at comparable sales that happen in the, in the area. And he says, all right, this is based on what other houses have sold that have like similar uh, floor structures. They have the same bedroom count, bathroom count, square footage in the same ballpark in the last six months, year, whatever they're looking at. You know, this is what I determine your house to be valued at, right? And that's great. So, like, let's say you you just put in a hundred thousand on this house, and they appraise it, let's say at a hundred and fifty or hundred, let's say one hundred eighty thousand, right? Um, that's that's being very generous. But one hundred eighty thousand, what that means is now you can get a loan from the bank. The bank ordered that appraisal. It's worth one hundred eighty thousand. When you refinance, you have to. I'm gonna get a calculator out real quick. So if we do one hundred eighty thousand, when you get a when you refinance on that, there's two types of refinances. There's a refinance where you can get a better rate right? And you refinance your terms. You can keep 
the same amount of months or years that you had left on your original mortgage, or you can start all over again at 30 years, which is a terrible idea. That's how people get stuck in that, like that constant loop. I think that becomes the issue is like people keep refinancing, but going back to a 30 year loan to get the payment down to where they need to, because they haven't built the equity into the the loan to do it right. A thousand percent. Yeah. And and that's the kind of the problem. I think think, the cars are the same way that, same we same way that most people stay broke. Yeah, it's like every couple of years they want to buy a brand new car and they depreciate so fast and you right. still well I I gotta pay this one off so you roll that in the next loan and like your payment gets super high and then you can't fucking pay it off and, and they get, that's just it's it's one way that these huge corporations being the banks sure. have tricked us into making them money by making bad decisions on our part. I tell this to everyone, like the only time you should be buying a brand new car or like leasing, you know, there's very rare cases when that should be happening, but <laughs> you know, buy a new car, um, buy a car that's like two, three years old off the lot. Don't let the, de- yeah, the immediate depreciation. My, like how you. my mentors always taught me is like, if you want to buy a new car, that's how you buy a new car. You buy a two year old car with like 30,000 miles on a lease trade in. That's your new car. Right. Exactly. Like you, you don't buy brand new because you're going to let them take the depreciation. A thousand percent. And that's depreciation immediately when you leave the lot. And then after that, it's just like, I think it's one to three years is like the sweet spot where the most depreciation is going to yeah. happen. Don't be that guy. Don't take the hit. No, don't get me wrong. If you have enough money to cushion that where that's not important, then sure. But in the most cases, in my case, yeah, but even that's then, not like, important. Most people who have money are good at keeping it. Sure. Because sure. they don't spend it. So they're not going to, they're not likely to go out and just blow it on a brand new car doing something stupid. A thousand percent, right? But like, but there are those kinds of people, right? And if, well, I mean, if some people got person, more money than sense. Let's for be sure. Real honest. For sure. But that's where leasing makes sense. Because sometimes people who have a lot of money want to have a new car every two years. I know, like, a friend of mine, like Dr. Max, my chiropractor. Sure. You know, he, he leases a car, but for him, it's a business expense. Yeah. Because it's like, I've got to have a nice car to go to work. Yeah. I want people to see me around town. I want to invest my time in this town and let people know that I'm here to stay and they need to see me driving a nice car and not like some 2009 Honda Accord that's, what people, that's sitting out my driveway right now that you've rolled in it. That's what people have to understand is like, again, like it's not just like real estate and, and all these other things, but there's so many different scenarios that can play well into whatever it is you're doing. Right. That'll help you because, again, business expenses, things that are in that'll help you bring down what your taxable income is. Again, cars what, or car vehicles that are used for your business. Right. Those kinds of things. They all have value and you need to understand. I and mean, I think a lot of people just don't understand what those things are and how really close yeah. to. How We're like, granted, like, like Dr. Max, like he sees it as marketing. Yeah. He's like, okay, like this is an expense for my business. I need to have a nice vehicle. Yeah. No, like, for there's sure. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And obviously, like anything that like, I talk about here, like talk to your CPA, talk to your accountant, yeah. things like that. I we are not professionals. Yeah. Do not take advice from us. <laughs> Full We're disclaimer, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like even like back to like that Burr method is like, so I did the math, right? So you put in, you bought it for 10000 You put in 90000 in the rehab, 100000 total. It uh, had what? Was the appraised for one hundred eighty? Appraised for one hundred eighty. Let's just say with a generous amount to get a refinance. You're right. There's a refinance that will ref, that'll give you a better rate, interest rate. Right. That's one reason to do a refinance. A second reason to do a refinance is maybe an interest rate and or to get a cash out. So a cash out is when you take the equity that's in your property, right, and you take money out of it like an ATM. Right. And it's a one time thing. It's not like a HELOC, which is like a home equity line of credit, which has variable interest. Most most banks do that. There's very few that do static. And um, I don't recommend it just because the interest can vary. Right. So for me, it's like a refinance with a cash out. Hundred eighty thousand. You have to have a it's not like a normal loan. Like when you buy a house, it's like 80 percent. 
is going to be in the in, in the in a loan, and twenty percent you have to give as a down payment. Let's say as a traditional conventional loan. Uh, with with refinance, it has to be seventy five twenty five. So if seventy five percent is a loan, twenty five percent is what you have to leave as equity in the house. So and when you're refinancing, it's not twenty five percent down payment. It's refi. It's twenty five percent value of the house stays in the house. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. I did 75% of 180, 135,000, right? So I, the bank is going to give me $135,000 in that cash out because I'm tapping into what the value is appraised at. Multiply that value, the 180,000, multiply it by 75%. That gets you whatever the, the, uh, loan, the, the loan amount that they're going to give you in cash. And that's essentially going to become a loan that's going to have a mortgage. And you're going to pay that every month. So you get 135,000. 100,000 of that 135,000 covers what you just put into that house. 10,000, 90,000, you just got that back in cash. And you know what the best part about this is? You not only just made 35,000, but you made it without taxes, right? When you do cash outs on properties, you, there's, it's not a taxable income, okay? When you when you sell a property, if you haven't lived in that house, for, I think it's like two, three years, whatever it is, you have to live in it for two, three years. Otherwise, you have to pay capital gains tax, especially if it's an investment property that you just flipped. So you just bought a house and you flip it, now you have to pay capital gains, which is just in crazy percentages, right? Like yeah. upwards of the high twenties, right? And I, I know, I know a handful of flippers, and it's like it looks like a very high stress job. It looks like sure. you either make a bunch of money or you lose a bunch of money. There's no middle ground. The problem is, is like what's behind drywall, right? That's like the if anyone can make an invention that will show you what's behind drywall, I'm sure it'd be the most like they'd be the most richest person in the world. Oh, we just right? need Superman to come in here. Like, what, what are we doing here? How would like, you like to be a contractor? Yeah, <laughs> find this leak underground. Go. <laughs> like 100% that, right? But like that's the risk with, um, and I think over time you can identify, you know, where things are and, and, and certain problems that might lead to those kinds of things happening. But, you know, you can hide things easily with paint and drywall and everything. Just, a lot of people do that, especially yeah, flippers. Super shady, super especially shady. flippers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not the heroes in this equation. <laughs> they're just taking advantage <laughs> of the Some of them do a good job. Let's be for honest. Sure, some of them sure. do the right thing no matter what. But yeah. most of the time, yeah, there's mold they're doing it as cheap as possible. Right, yeah. right. There's certainly a business model. And you, people have got to realize what are incentives, right? What is that incentive for that person, right? They need to make a profit. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a great example. Like we're sitting right down right now down in my basement. And it's like I was looking to make this like a whiskey lounge and a bar kind of hang out and all this kind of stuff. Right. Well, I had some water trouble. You can see kind of like the water damage up here, like above the, the door over here. Yeah. And it's like I've now realized that, shit, well, I can't just throw a bar in here. I'm going to have to like tear down all this paneling that was put up probably back in the 70s. Yeah. You know? And it's like I got to see where the damage is. I got to fix it. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to redo all the wiring and all that because it's all old. Yep. It's two-wire system. I got to put in grounds and do all that kind of stuff. Bring it up to code. And it's like I'm going to do it right because I live here. Yeah. But I'm not planning to live here forever. The idea is to like get this fixed up, maybe fix up the upstairs a little bit and then sell it. And like like we were talking about yesterday, we were out at lunch, is like I'm looking to buy a different house that's better for entertaining. Yeah. Because now I'm having more friends over doing poker nights and whiskey nights and just I just I want to spend more time with the people that I love, realizing that realistically I probably got more summers behind me than ahead of me. So it's like I'm looking to more enjoy my life, which is good. And then to do that, I want I love having people over. For me, it's fun because I live alone. Sure. So a lot of times, like it's great to have people over because I get to talk to people. This is fun. One of the reasons why I love jujitsu. And when we yeah. were when we were shut down in 2020 for a couple of months before <laughs> Shannon opened back up, said "fuck you," come shut me down, which I appreciate so yeah. much. Yeah. Fucking appreciate you, Shannon. Love you. And because when he was shut down for whatever three months or whatever he whatever it is, we were shut down because we were all afraid. We didn't know. Yeah. And once we realized, you know what? Nobody's coming to save us. 
if you're willing to come back, please come back. And a right. lot of people didn't because right. they weren't. They were afraid. And that's fine. And that's fine. It's your, and a lot of them have decision. come back since. Some of yeah. them still haven't. That's fine. That's yeah. a, it's their choice. That's yeah. fine. But it's like once he said, no, fuck this, I'm opening back up, I didn't realize how much I had missed human contact until someone was sitting on my chest trying to murder me. And I was like, <laughs> I fucking missed this. Yeah, Holy yeah. hell. I need this in my life. I mean, granted, I'm sure a lot of people, like, they had family, they had people, they had wives, girlfriends, sure. whatever, that you know, uh, yeah, significant others, sure. or whatever. It's like they all, they all had that interaction. Like, I was stuck here for three months with nothing to do. It was like, fuck. Like, I, losing I, it, man. I can't be doing that. So now it's more like, I want to have people over. I want to have. I want to have get-togethers. I want to just let's come over. Like let's hang. Let's laugh. Let's watch the volleyball game. Let's do what. Like who cares? I don't care. Like let's just get together and have a good time. So, but as as a matter of like flipping, like I'm not looking to do this as cheap as possible. Right. I'm looking to do it right because when I sell it to somebody else, like I will let them know like everything here was done up to code and above and beyond what should have been done. A thousand. Percent. But dare I say that is not the norm. No, it's not. And I think that's like you kind of have to have that um, integrity, right, when you go into anything. And it's a good and a bad thing. It's a strength and a weakness, right? Yes. You know, these are your competitors that are doing it and they're able to have a lower – they can come into houses with like a lower price because they already know they're going to they're gonna short on these things and cut corners, right? And, that, and that's a problem, right? But it's also not a massive – there's a tons of biz, like real estate to, to buy up, you know? It's And the Burr method is just one method. We were talking about this the other day. It's like Burr method makes sense to build up a portfolio, right? Because you can only do so many conventional loans before a bank's like, dude, you have too much fucking debt, right? Yes. You know, then you have to go to a – I forget what it's called. It's like a debt-covered um, – uh, debt covered asset, something like that. I forget. It's like it goes to like more local banks and specific uh, lenders that only do for like uh, investment properties. Well, they do like a, a loan <laughs> based on like the um, income that you're going to generate from that rental property over what the debt is. And there's a whole more complicated thing and how you get once you get past a certain amount of houses, how you have to put into a portfolio. There's tons of things. Yeah, but that makes sense because like again, they're looking at like a business loan. Yeah, and you got to go in there with a portfolio and an idea of saying, hey. This is what I'm doing. This is what else I have. This is this. This is a profit losses sheet. Right. Like here's my plan. This is like but, you got to you got to build it all out because again, it's it's a business investment for sure. And the thing about this is it's a specific type of lender or a specific type of loan. It's a service, right? So it's not like hey, you have a you have a 30 year mortgage, right? Or a 30 year loan that's conventional. It's a completely different ball game with the different lenders and different rules, right? Not only do you have to present things, but there's things you have to present and it, like calculations and things like that that they have predetermined for you, right? Okay. And so that's I, whole so I think we're getting like. Super high level sure. here, which is great. And that's it's, it's interesting. I think we can probably cover that more in the future. For sure. But I want to take a step back, back up here a little bit. So with your experience now, having seen how your grandma got started, got your mom started, which you all have been working together, so which basically got you started. Right. So now you guys are all working together and you've got all these different units and what's going on and you're helping to manage it. They're working on things and all the everybody's working together, which is great. You're making this right. like a little enterprise, probably an LLC. And I assume you guys have it incorporated and all that kind of stuff. That's none of my business. I'm no. just I'm just assuming here. But, but just just to take a step there, LLCs aren't for tax breaks. So LLCs are to protect you. Yeah, so they right. can't come after you exactly. if something you can, happens. You can start separating exactly. out properties. But you do that as a business. Sure, entity sure, sure, so that way you're not on the hook it's expensive to create an llc not just to create i understand it, but just that to fucking do your taxes is insane yeah no yeah. Tr- trust me i completely understand um but what would you recommend having the experience that you have now for someone getting started let's say a great example like we were talking about maybe me getting in, like involved in buying like a duplex or something and how does somebody like me get started maybe a little bit later in life and not, not super early. We got a bunch of money saved up or maybe a, a family backer to get like a down payment on something to, to get it. 
because obviously the best idea would be to start with like a duplex, right? Yeah. And like if you were young, buy a duplex, rent one side of it out, let that pay your mortgage. You take the money and save it up so you got some nest egg and then start rehabbing and doing that kind of stuff. And then you move out, move somewhere else and rent that side of it and you know, keep moving up that way. Obviously, that would probably be the best way to start. Yeah. But so what does somebody like me do? So like I've got this house, I've been here for seven years now. I've got this mortgage and this and that. Like how do I get started with something different? So uh, there's like, there's four ways to come at this or a few ways. I don't, I don't know what the fucking number is, but so like just to finish up the birth thing, right? Okay. The birth thing, why it's important is like you, you did all this, you got, you know, your hundred thousand that you put into the house back, you got the 35,000 in profit, not taxed. And the finishing touch to that is that you rent out the house, right? Because you just cashed out on it and you don't, if you sell it, regardless of that refinance, you still have to pay capital gains tax on what you're going to recognize as profit. So, so you're going to hold on to that property. <laughs> You're going to hang and on to gonna, it and you're, you're going to rent, rent it out. You're going to rent it. And you're going to rent it at, you know, there's a certain ratio of calculations, again, not to dive into it, but you need to be, you can either be making money, like 100, 200 bucks a month. You could be breaking even. Sometimes you can be losing money. Sometimes it makes sense. So you got to figure these things out. And, you know, there's, as you get more advanced, there's reasons why you want to lose, right? And more for taxes than anything else. But ultimately, that's what you want, right? So you want to rent it. The reason why you want to rent it is, this is where people get confused is now you have a house, right? You just got, you, you fixed up and hopefully you did a good job. You're renting it now. That rental, that tenant is now paying your mortgage on money on a, on a house that you just used as an ATM. You just took all this money out. Now you're going to go rinse and repeat. You're going to use a hundred thousand to go fix another house. You're going to use that 35,000 to keep in your reserves. You know, you'll have your budgets, whatever it is that you do, right? You're going to rent that house every month that that tenant pays you rent is a payment towards your mortgage, which is equity. So in 10 years, you're going to have money or even six years, you're going to have money to pull out again with a refinance cash out, 15 years, whatever the hell you want to do. You can pull money out of it again, like an ATM with no taxes. Hopefully nothing changes down the road and you can pull money out again without taxes. So it's not just like, Hey, I'm doing this one time. No, getting no, hold on. Like, let's, let's step back then and explain that a little bit differently because I'm not quite getting what you're saying. So, so, so you bought the house for 10. Uh, it appraised for 180, yeah. right? So your loan is for 180 because you got a loan in this house, no, right? No, your loan is 135 because 75% of the appraised value is the loan. 25% is equity that has to be, that remains in the property. Okay. All right. So you've got a loan now for 135000 Yeah. All right. So then you've you've spent 100 on it to, to get it running and you've cashed it out for 135 but you still got that mortgage for 135 Right. Yeah. So now you're renting it, and you're taking all that, and you're paying down your mortgage at 135. Yeah. So your your, your mortgage is like 600 bucks. You get yeah. a tenant for 900, 800, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? So you can take all that, throw it in towards the the mortgage to get that paid off, and it'll get it paid off in a fraction of the time. And then obviously, then after that, then not, boom, the house is yours. Not even a fraction of the time. So what people need to realize is that you're just making monthly payments. You're not doing extra payments. I mean, you can if you want. It's cool to float your boat, but it's like the tenant is paying this debt. This credit, this note that it's on this property, the tenant is paying it. You know, if they're not there, it's like a tenant leaves and there's a month or two gap, you're paying it, whatever. Well, that's why you have reserves set aside. <laughs> exactly. But 98% of the time, 90% of the time, a tenant is paying that rent. That Every payment you make towards your house, right, is equity. Because in 30 years, 15 years, the house is going to be paid off and now you don't have any payment. But let's say in 15 years, you're like, fuck, I want to, you know. I want to add a second layer, a second level to this house on top of this house. That's an expensive thing to do. Yeah. Take off the roofing and tr- like everything. It's, it's insanely expensive. So if you want to do that, most people just tap into the equity of their their house because it's the cheapest, lowest interest rate you're going to get at the time. It's the safest way to do it. And it's 15, 30 years or whatever it is that you take for your plan, right? It's the safest bet to do. So equity, it's not 
there's two the, the thing that's most important is that for rental incomes it, there's the income you get every month from a rental property which is great but then there's the equity that that person is paying off your debt for you while you're making a little bit off the top that in 10 15 years you can take out without taxes right because the 2 300 you maybe you're paying taxes maybe if you're if you're if you're savvy enough you can get around that right and there's ways to do it right but that's at the at its end of its goal that that tenant is paying your equity they're paying into your mortgage and building equity for you my mom likes California houses because the equity just goes astronomical, right? And and, and that's fine for her, but again, for me, it's not worth it. To get a house for like eight hundred thousand there, seven hundred fifty thousand, I could buy four duplexes here. I can get three duplexes. Yeah. I don't give a shit about that. You know what I mean? And they'll make just the same amount of money, but they won't do it, you know, on a on a year over year equity growth, right? They won't grow like that. I don't give a shit about. It. There's less risk. I don't care. Yeah, a lot <laughs> less risk. You know, but that's that's finishing up the burr, right? So that you okay. you buy it, you rehab it, you you refinance it, you rent it. That's one way. So if you're new trying to get into real estate, right? And again, I had the luxury of having my mom, my grandma, having that experience of just managing their properties, being around well, I think it all that, the time. I think if you've got friends and family who are into it, they can help teach and guide you through it. For sure. Whereas like me, it's like I've never had people into all that kind of stuff. So I've never known really too much. I mean, I've obviously heard you know, people talk about it on you know talks and podcasts and sure. all that kind of stuff, things I've heard over the years. But it, it always sounds it always sounds super scary and high risk and right. all that. But obviously, I mean, I know some flippers as well, and I know that's super high risk. Yeah, you know, so, and I don't think people need to start with flipping houses. I think flipping houses is its own niche. I yes. don't I don't think you need to do that. I don't I don't if think you're that's like for most a, people. If you're like a super handyman and you want to like build up some good equity into a house and then kind of like work your way up to a nice house that you want to live in. It probably makes a lot of sense, but realize like that is all you're going to do. Like I had a friend who bought a fixer upper and he worked on that thing every night after work, every weekend for years. And he granted, he redid the whole house. He updated the kitchen and the bathrooms and all the bedrooms and everything. And then he sold it for a good amount of profit and bought a nice house. Yeah. But it's like, that was his life. And I'm like, sure. I don't want to do that. Like, I got other shit that I want to do. And that's what people need to realize is like when you are trying to identify like what is it that I want to do in life? You know, you need to find out what's feasible. What is the amount of time you want to commit to it? And then balance out all the other shit you have in life. You know what I mean? That That's not, again, fixing up houses is not for everybody. And it, retire, it requires a lot of time, a lot of effort. And if you're not- A lot of skills, a lot of tools. If you're not doing the repairs, then you need to account for that fact that you're going to have to have a middleman, which is a subcontractor or a contractor who's going to do that work and charge you money that they need to make to pay their own bills. Yeah. So now you're paying for their mortgage, right? So that there's a, there's a time and place for that. And I'm not obviously handy at all. Like I'm, I'm almost there, but like, I'm, I'm like talking to Neptune about stuff. I'm like, Holy shit. You know, he's super handy, right? There's, there's levels to it and, um, and how far you can get along with things. But fixer uppers, you know, that requires, you know, a certain mindset, a certain thing that you're going to dedicate this amount of time to it and, and have an understanding. So you don't you know, you get screwed over. Right. That's one. But two, I tell this to, I tell this to probably everybody. It's like, Get a duplex. It's so easy. You can get a duplex with an FHA loan, all right, as long as you're going to live on one side. You can do uh, it. And I think that's a benefit for somebody who's a little bit younger. Yeah. Is that, yeah, it's like basically like buy your own apartment and then rent out the other side of it. But you've got a separating wall, so it's not like you have roommates. They're just on the other side of the apartment. They'll be on the other side. They'll be on top of you. Like duplexes are set up differently. Sometimes it's oh, like that's a good one point. house, yeah. one house. Whatever the layout is. Now I'm who, thinking more of like a side-by-side. But yeah, you're right. There is the up and down yeah, and all that kind like, of stuff. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like what the layout is. You know, sometimes, you know, if you want things in life, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice, you know, convenience or the things that you want now in order to get the things that you want in the future. Yes. You know, and that's important to recognize, like, what are you willing to give up or sacrifice, like, like comforts, conveniences, things like that, to get what is is attainable 
in your like in the future life that you want to have, right? So I tell people like get a duplex, man. You know, three point five percent down. Do an FHA loan. Your credit doesn't have to be the greatest for an FHA. There's a reason for it. You're gonna have a private mortgage, you got mortgage insurance that you're gonna have to pay for, <laughs> which now does not go away once you hit twenty percent. So people the, know the that. PMI. Yeah, it does not go with an FHA. It does not go away after you hit twenty percent. It used to. They changed it. So what you have to do now to get out of that PMI is you have to refinance. Go traditional. And refinance to a conventional loan and yeah. repackage it. So it's a little bit different. But again. It doesn't matter. It's that it's that step in it's that, you know, getting your foot into the door, right? Same thing with like jobs and all these other things. It's like, how do I just get into it? And then I can kind of figure things out. It's not like you have to figure out much. You have a duplex. If you get into a place that's desirable, you know, like Lakewood or uh, certain cities that you know you can do it, like Shaker Heights and stuff like that, or near a lot of businesses like Progressive and all the places that are downtown and on the west west side of Cleveland, you can make it work. And that right side is gonna pay like 90, 85% of your mortgage. You know, if you buy a $250,000 duplex, you know what I mean? Like your mortgage is going to be like maybe like what, 1300 or 3.5, maybe like 1600, 1700. But if you're in Lakewood, you're renting out the other side for like 1100, you're paying $600, right? Or you're, you're paying into your equity, right? And then whenever down the line you refinance it, whenever that is, and you can afford that and you can pay those fees. Now you're going to have the PMI drop off. So again, you know, you're going to have to grind it out a little bit, but this is your first step towards getting, you know, maybe financial freedom, passive income, you know, rental properties are great for, um, limiting like sheltering income from taxes. Right. So people don't realize like, Hey, if I buy a real estate property, I'm going to have all this depreciation, all these things that can kind of shelter my income from tax. That's not the case. You, it's considered passive income. So essentially it's not, it doesn't get taxed the same as your ordinary income from your job, like a W2. What happens instead is there's a if you make under a hundred thousand, you can deduct twenty five thousand from like a real estate or any passive income or something like that. If you make over a hundred thousand between that and a hundred fifty thousand, I'm ninety nine percent sure, you can deduct half of twenty five percent. So fifty percent of that twenty five thousand you can deduct. Or you can you can you, you qualify to shelter your twenty five uh twelve thousand five hundred dollars of your own income. You can shelter it. So you you'll save, you know, whatever you would be taxed on twelve thousand five hundred dollars. That's not much. The, the The optimal thing to do is to be either become a full-time real estate professional or marry someone that's like a, uh, a realtor because then you can do 100% of your guys' income and protect it 100% with depreciation. And without getting too crazy into what depreciation does and like all these things, the way that you shelter your income is like you have an asset, like a house you can depreciate. I think it's like 27 and a half years. You do 27 and a half divided into what your house is worth minus the land, right? And, and that you take that and each year you depreciate it because the house is technically falling apart. The land is going to be there before and after. It doesn't yes. matter, right? Yeah. That depreciation can protect, you know, if you're making, let's say like $100,000 a year, you need $100,000 worth of depreciation. So you think about that number I just told you, right? <laughs> I mean, not just 100000 but like whatever the number figures out to be. You need to buy a property. That's going to give you depreciation that's around whatever you're trying to shelter income-wise. Does that make sense? So, like, It's a little over my head. I mean, I'm sure some people understand it. Sure. I'm a little lost, but, but it's okay. People will buy properties, like massive, like millions of dollars in a certain property to shelter their, their income, right? They'll talk to their CPA, their accountant. They're like, hey, what do I need to buy? Because at the depreciation that you're going to hit for it on an annual basis will – if it's large enough, we'll shelter whatever income you're trying to you're trying to not have taxed. So that's a lot of ways that like certain realtor real estate investors will protect themselves from taxes is just buy that. So as you grow more, you have the need to have depreciating 
uh, properties that will protect your income. That's more down the road once you've got multiple properties <laughs> and good income coming in and not just some extra cash or but that's on the what side I or whatever. It's like you just buy one house. You get that twelve and a half thousand or you get twenty five thousand depending on what you make at your, your current job. And it'll shelter. That's a good, that's a decent chunk. You know, whatever tax bracket you fall into, it'll apply to whatever twenty five thousand. It's going to reduce whatever income you have, right? That's taxable. So it's cool. You know what I mean? It's a good way to start. And if you're like, okay, I like this, then you can start getting. You can have this duplex, rent out the other side, and move into another duplex. All right. So like, so that's step number two. So how long do you think makes sense feasibly? To like stay in that duplex while you're getting it like paid down or maybe renovated or whatever before you think, okay, well, let's do this again. Let's move out and kind of like uh, work our way up here. It's, it's up to you, right? It's all, there's so many variables at play, but it matters mostly like how much you make at your current job, right? Because that will directly in, influence, you know, um, whether or not you're going to go into another duplex. You can have, you can do an FHA loan multiple times. So people understand this. You, you can just only have one at a time. So if you do an FHA loan, a first-time home buyer, which is like a confusing name, you can do an FHA loan, buy a house 3.5%, you refinance it into a conventional, you can go do another FHA loan. Okay, okay. You can okay. only have one at a time. Okay. Which is fantastic. So it's not just the first time you buy a house. No. It's great, man. It's like this is an opportunity for people maybe who don't have like what I have now, like you know, capital and stuff like that to go into these things and, and do these different approaches. That's a good way to start. You know, use FHA to your strategy, use it to your best advantage, exploit it, take advantage of it, and then just make a plan. You know, you might be in that duplex for three years, it might be in there for five, six years, whatever it is. And what we were talking about before is like, I make my rentals desirable, right? I will upgrade them, I'll put in stainless steel appliances, I'll take out carpet, I'll only put like LVP, sometimes I'll put tile. Uh, LVP? Um, um, luxury vinyl plank, flooring, you know? So I won't do like cheap... Uh, uh, like linoleum, I think it is. Yes. Like really older stuff that just easy, falls apart. It's super easy use, to damage. Use premium materials to make it look really nice. And not only that, but I also will like, like one of my friends, um, she does um, like home design, right? And I haven't done it yet, but like a thought that I have too in the future is to use her to not only stage houses, but to like furnish them so we can do like, you know, Airbnbs and stuff like that and have them like, she went to college for it, worked for like a home builder and was like really good at it, you know? So down the line, that's something that I'm eyeing. But my point is put nice things in the house and you're going to get a different pool of applicants who want to be, who want to rent. From yes. Cause you obviously I mean? you're not looking to uh, scrape the bottom of the barrel here. You're looking to make a good property at a desirable price, but also it's going to keep out the riffraff. Right. Exactly. And you get people and I, this is what I would do. Like some of the, the properties we had in the beginning. It's like the way I look for houses, I look in places that have, you know, companies like on the West side of Cleveland, you have like Westlake, Avon Lake, Avon, North Ridgeville, North Olmstead. They have like American greetings out there. They have Highland software. They have a lot of companies out there that people don't realize that are there. Um, you have crane, right? It was like an aero aerospace uh, contractor, right? Uh, in Elyria. So what I look for is like hospitals. I look for companies that give good jobs that are stable. And I like to look at property around those areas, um, warehouses, and I like to offer discounts to those people. You can communicate, you can reach out to the, to the companies and say like, hey, I offer discounts for this. You can do corporate housing, right? You could also do a point where you can see your ad. Like if you work at these places, I offer reduced um, rent, right? I don't mind giving people reduced rent as long as I know they have a stable job and they've been there for a while and they're good at their job. Obviously, I can tell by, you know, they're getting promoted, what their titles are. Um, their W-2s. There's so many things you can tell. Yeah. You know? And there's so many things you can do. Background checks, eviction checks now with like through uh, through TransUnion. They have a product that you can use. It's like, And you make the, the, the person who's applying for it will pay for it. It's just an application fee and you make them pay it through TransUnion. So there's a lot of things you can do to ensure that you get a quality tenant. 
right? There's a lot of like checks that are in place, but ultimately, you know, if you're offering a higher end or at least above average kind of stay, you're going to attract a different kind of people, a different kind of tenant. And that's going to pr- help you in the long run, right? Because you're going to have less drama, less trouble, less damage to your, your, yes. your rental, <laughs> yes. right? Especially if you're not handy, you're like, fuck, now I got to fix all this. Now you're losing money in that month. Yeah, because you got to pay somebody else to do it because exactly. you can't fix it yourself. And you're paying a premium. Yeah. You're paying a premium, you know? So I, again, that's my way of doing it. I would say do a duplex, do an FHA into it if you don't have too much capital, right? Look for areas that are, that are desirable. You know, universities are okay. I don't really do universities because I don't want college students. Yes, you don't want to rent to college kids. Maybe you want a PhD, a grad student. Yeah. Cool, man. You know, for sure. I'm all in for that. You know, and you can do grad housing. That's cool too. But like for me, I look for like where companies are nearby. I want I want young adults or adults who are in their life where they don't want problems. They just want to go to work and they want a place to stay until they can buy their own house. Exactly. That's great, man. You know, and again, do that. Get into a duplex and just keep catapulting yourself into I don't, I'm not a big fan of single family homes. There's a time and place for single family homes, like to buy a house like this and rent it. You're not, you, you can maximize, you know, the, the purchase that you're about to make for a, a property by doing a duplex. You know what I mean? You'll make three, $400 more on average on that property than you would a single family home. Yes. Now you have twice the tenant, you know, you have more things to deal with and more bullshit and more things to manage, but it's the same place. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? So what I tell people is like duplex, lead into another duplex, go into a triplex. Get, maybe get a duplex like in Lakewood. They have a first floor. First story is the duplex. Second story or the first floor is, and then second story are the two housing units. On the third floor, there might be like a like an attic that they converted to a living space. A little studio apartment in. or something. Yeah. Go live there. You know what I mean? Like, it, I mean, and then when you move out, you can rent out for like five, six hundred bucks. You know what I mean? You don't need. And if you get like a duplex, we're talking about this too. Don't live on the nice side where like owners will usually live. You know, if you buy a duplex that has like one side that's renovated, that looks really nice, like granite countertops and tile and all this shit. Stay in the shitty side that they would typically give to a tenant and fix up that side while yeah, you're living but, in but it. But the nice thing about that is you can fix it up over time if you're living over there. Yeah. And, and you're charging more money on the yeah, other side. And you're getting better renters on the other side. And then when you do move out, now you got two renovated sides and yeah. like your your maintenance fees are going to be greatly reduced. A thousand percent. And that's what I tell people is like, what are you willing to give up? Right? Like what conveniences, what comforts, right? Do you need granite countertops? Like, you know, there's certain things that you can do away with that people don't really think about. And it's like, give these things up for five seven years, six years, and you will have a pretty nice life in the future that you can actually grow on and, and keep doing. And at the very minimum, you have someone paying your rent, your mortgage, right? And now you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And ultimately during 30 years, if you just stay with one duplex, it's going to be paid off. You know what I mean? And you can, you can convert a multifamily home duplex into a single family home. You can use that person's payment as a double payment as you pay your loan down faster. You know, so lots of different options there. There's so many, but I think a duplex is the key to that. All right. So what about the people who have horror stories or we've all, we've all have friends or family who've gone into that and they were like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like we've got a teammate who just sold all of his rentals. I think he had like three (laughs) or four rentals and he was tired of dealing with all the problems and he ended up just like, fuck this. And he just sold all of them. Like I'm done. Yeah. Like, Like what about, what do you, what do you say about that? So I think there's like the disclaimer, right? Is like, you know, no matter how much you prepare, how much research you do, no matter what, you might still come up short, right? And that's not what happened with our friend. It just happened to the fact that the properties that he was doing, um, you know, the tenants that he had weren't the highest quality. And then there was just a lot of repairs that were needed on that. To kind of revisit that Burr method, before you can do a, like a Burr, like a house and do like a, and flip it and rent it and get that refinance out of it, it has to be a, a good flip. 
And just in case that Burr fails, let's say whatever like fucking crazy interest rates just happen right now, things are coming out of nowhere, you need to be able to still sell the house in case you can't rent it. And you need to be able to make a profit and still pay your capital gains tax and still make your money, right? So, with so our it's, friend, it's more about buying them right. Buying the right property, understanding what you're looking for, getting it properly, not just like a, a fucking home inspector, you know, that's just like, you know, for me, like I have a structural engineer when I look at houses. I've learned I've been burned so much because I don't know structural engineering. I didn't go to school for this. I, I'm willing to pay the six $700 that it costs to have him look at the house on top of my friend who's a plumber who will look at the plumbing and everything that I've learned about looking in attic spaces and things that are damaged and HVAC, things that I've learned because I've been burned so much. My first house that I bought was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. I got lucky that we had this housing price that go went up. I was able to sell it at a gain out of how much money I put into it. I still made like twenty, thirty thousand, 30000 and I put a lot of money into it. Put a new HVAC, new new flooring, a lot of money, right? New bathroom, um, just because I bought a house with so many problems, and I made a mistake, you know, and I learned from it—an expensive, costly mistake that I was actually, um, I kind of got an exit out of it in a good, in a, in a way that didn't burn me, right? But it was a lot of stress in my life that I'm sure took off some years on my life. But my point is, buying a good house is important. I know getting a home inspector for like 150 bucks. Sounds like, you know, hey, man, I'm saving money. That guy probably sucks. You know what I mean? So my advice is make sure when you're buying good property and the way you guarantee that is, you know, you have that two-week time span to get an inspector, get a structural engineer, pay a little bit more money because you pay that $700 and whatever you charge for like a plumber to come through to look at your stuff too or whoever else that you think would be good wherever that unique property calls for. Maybe you're seeing problems and you can kind of say like, hey, I need this person to come take it out if you're not that um, advanced or you don't understand what these things cause or what they're going to cost. You know, have an expert come in, pay a little bit more money because you pay a thousand dollars now, fifteen hundred dollars. It's way better than being stuck in a house that's going to cost you thousands, maybe tens of thousand dollars down the line. Pay that, pay that toll up front and prevent yourself from getting into these bad properties, right? That's one, that's the way I do it now. And then obviously with time, you'll learn more. And two, you know, once you get past that, again, find the tenants that you want to be desirable. Right. So our friend was using tenants that, you know, were less desirable or maybe on the bottom end, bottom end, a middle class or maybe even below that, you know, and there's nothing against folks like that. Like I came from that area. Right. And, you know, there's good people there. But of course, you have to work. Some people are just down on their luck. A thousand percent. Right. And you but you need to work within like in the aggregate statistics. Right. So I have a higher chance of having a better tenant. I mean, you can have nightmare tenants even at higher rates. Right. Of course. Don't get me wrong for sure. But it's less likely. Right. You know, like in the aggregate, I'm more likely to have a good tenant with all the things that I'm vetting people on with all the like background checks, eviction checks, you know, the works. I'm validating everything. They're calling the past um, real, real um, places that they stayed landlord wise. And I never called the last landlord. I called the landlord from two times ago. You know what I mean? Because the last landlord might hate these people and want to get them the fuck out. So he's just lies. You know, he's like, yeah, they're great tenants. <laughs> they're your problem now. <laughs> so, you know, there's things that you learn across over time. But again, make sure you're getting a good property. Right. And if you are, then you need to find out, okay, how do I make this property desirable for folks that I want to rent to? And most of the time, it's just like upgrading it, right? If it's not already upgraded. And, you know, there's certain things that you can do cost effectively to bring a house to look, make it look desirable. One way is, again, get a home designer. It doesn't have to be the most expensive one. Just be like, hey, over time, you can have like a cookie cutter template or like, hey, this is the kind of flooring color that I want. This is the kind of trim color, the paint color that I want, right? You can make things desirable where people want to live. You know, when you go to these massive apartment complexes that co- that corporations run now, right? Like Redwood is a good one. They have really good places. It's not. It's not like someone on a whim was like, "Hey, I'm gonna use this kind of flooring, this kind of wall paint." These yeah, it's all of planned out. It's all planned out, and it's made desirable by that, right? So do that. 
be you know follow the way that these bigger guys do it maybe not the same scale but follow the way that they do it and i'm i'm i think you have a higher rate of success that's that's the way i've kind of gone about things and it's, it's gone it's been successful for me okay I'll tell you what, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up this first one. I think we could definitely have many, many more of these. Totally. As, uh, this, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming over. I really do appreciate this. Thanks for and having me. I obviously learned a lot about you and like your background and stuff. And thank you for sharing. That was, that was a, that was a great conversation. It was so much fun. So do you have any, uh, closing thoughts that I want to wrap up with here? No, man. Um, whatever it is you guys do in life, just, uh, you know, figure out what it is you want to do. And if you want financial freedom, real estate's a great way to do it. Uh, if you ever want to chat, just hit up Hess, let them let them know, and just find me on Instagram. Um, post a ton about travel, mostly, and just shitty memes. So just uh, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you, sir, so much. And we will see you guys next time. Cheers. It was good, man. Good stuff, man. It was fun. That was, dude. How much time went by? Holy shit. All right. Well, that wraps up another great episode. What a fun podcast that was from the lowest of lows to doing super well and having a good future ahead of you. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of us to take away. And I certainly need to dig more into what's all going on and kind of try to understand it a little bit because it's definitely still over my head. But I think we could definitely have Paul back on the show and run through some more of the details. But also kind of looking at the big picture as well. I think he's got a pretty good perspective on life. Uh, he likes to travel. He's not too worried about anything. He's just kind of go with the flow. And he's, he's, he's a lot of fun. He's a great dude. And anytime I'm around him, I'm always having a good time smiling and laughing. And I, I, I haven't quite, not, not quite, I haven't met a person yet who doesn't like Paul. I think if you don't like Paul, there might be something wrong with you. I'm not sure there's something wrong with Paul. If you guys are still listening this deep in the episode, thank you so much for all of your support. It really does mean the world to me. Uh, the biggest thing we can do for the show right now is to just do what, what has been going on right now. It's just talk about it with your friends, share it on social media, do all that kind of good stuff. And then if you do have the time, please go out to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave it a five-star review. That really helps the show get bumped up in the rankings and hopefully new people will be able to find it after that. If you guys have any questions for us, uh, regular guests or anybody, and maybe even Paul, you want to ask him some questions about real estate, uh, go ahead and shoot us a message. You can go to uncensoredhumanity.com and fill out the contact us form, or you can send us an email at uncensoredhumanitypodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And those will land in inbox and we will get those covered on a future episode. Well, that is all we have time for this week. So we will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity.